Hey, this is Chuck Dixon, and you're listening to Signal of Doom. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Hello and welcome to Signal of Doom. I'm Dave. I'm here with the main man, Rich. Rich, how are you going? Uh, a bit under the weather, but pushing through. Dying? AIDS? Cancer? What is it? Uh, not, no, 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 no. I, I never seem to react that badly. That's your that's your thing, Dave. Uh, remember, I almost died of COVID, man. I came out the other side. Wow. So oh, death. yeah, you were, so, you were so close to death. Uh, well, how about when I couldn't fucking see? How about that? And, and, and I couldn't see properly, and... The, the sheets and clothes were hurting me. I was like, is, is, I actually thought at one point, is this death? You know? And the other part of me was like, if it is, it is. Fuck it. Who cares? Like, I've had enough of this fucking life anyway. You know? Like, <laughs> like, you're like, are they going to take your life away? I'm like, yeah, you know what? I've got a bad hip. I've got a bad back and a bad knee. And I'm just about done. So, you know, maybe put me out to pasture. I don't care. So, Rich bravely battling on, though. And as I said to Rich before the show, Although, of course, Rich is obligated under various blood contracts, he is allowed to have a sick day. So, Rich, never feel like, you know, I'm this dictator, although, I, you know, I am, but you know what I mean. Like, I'm a Mostly kindly... just a dick. No, I'm a... Excuse me, Richard. <laughs> Excuse me, my friend. Making comments like that that early in the show. Jesus. Anyway. I'm, I'm sorry. Every time I hear the word dictator, <laughs> I just remember the way someone goes, man, he's a real dick. <laughs> Tater. <laughs> That's actually funny. Um, yeah, so we're battling on... I'm actually exhausted. I'm operating on caffeine and, and instinct now, and the instinct's dulled. I'm playing a memory man, you know? And um, it's a fairly light news week and good. You know what I mean? Like, fucking good. Like, th- th- there was barely any news. I had to scrape. And we've got a really good section by Michael Kellis from us, a Babylon B um, news updates, which actually really made me laugh, which I'm looking forward to doing. Now, Rich, um, I know you have a movie review to give us, but we won't start off with that. But how has your week been? Is this sickness been an all-week thing, or did the no, girlfriend no, give no, it no, to you? Was stopped. it at work, or what was it, man? Started midweek, so oh, I think it's just a lot of rundown and all that crap. In the because you just had the um, what do you call it, Black Friday sales? Yes, busy, busy period. Nothing in a um, leading into Christmas too, Rich. Probably a bit of people. Passing their shit around and all that. Has Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer uh, started at um, Hornsby, uh, Westfield? Yeah, all the all that shit started already. All the <laughs> Christmas music and the decorations have started already. I don't actually, although I, I love some bombs Rich's way, and I've called him a Grinch many times, I don't blame you for being a Grinch. Because you see the worst side of humanity at Christmas, you know? You see well, the, the... No, the problem is I don't hate Christmas. I mean, I like to joke and say about humbug and all that sort of shit sure. is so funny. I just don't love Christmas anymore. Like, yeah, it's killed the, you. You know what I mean? That, that The joy isn't there anymore, but it's not like I hate it and be like, God, I wish everyone would just, you know... Die. Stop celebrating Christmas or anything like that. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, but, like, you do see... I, look, I, I don't blame you. You you see the the worst side of people like hustling for bargains. I, it, you remember the movie Jingle All the Way, where they're fighting for the present. Yep, yep. it, it seriously is a bit like that, isn't it? Like honestly, like there's an element of of that with shoppers yeah. in the last. Couple I'm of so days. shocked at, at some people's age when they get shocked and appalled that you've run out of stock. Like yeah, yeah. we're the first store ever in the history of retail. Yeah, I know. 
to run out of stock. The, the way that people get so indignant and be like, how? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I'm like, really? So you've spent your entire <laughs> life, your entire 50 years, 40 years, whatever, yeah. and you've always gotten what you've wanted whenever you went to a shop. They've never once run out until this very day. I think there's just a lot of, and I mean, I'm guilty of it too. There's a lot of entitlement amongst consumers now due to the online where you just, you know, even there it runs out, I know, but there is an entitlement amongst shoppers. And I think it only increases in that lead up to a Christmas. It just gets worse and worse with each day kind of ticking down, you know? Mm. Um, also, like, part of me is, like, less and less about that. Like, I, you know, like, if, if you plan, you know, it depends how many people you're buying for. But, I mean, if you can plan a little bit strategically, it really doesn't have to be that big a deal. Like, honestly, these days, I don't think, you know? It's only mm. a big deal if everyone's been there. Everyone has been there. Like, it's one day and you're like, fuck, we've got to get grandma something. Well, you know, we've got to do this. We've got to, do, we've got to get my mother something. And you're like, shit, what are we going to get her? And that's where the desperation comes out because suddenly you're back to retail wars, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, it is what it is, Rich. Now, um, this week, actually, um, I have been reading Robin Smith's book. Uh, Robin Smith, for those who don't know, is a very good... South African-born, played for England cricketer, um, very good player, played all through the, the 90s, um, you know, and played, uh, I think, about 66 or 67 tests. Uh, very good player, really good player of pace bowling, probably one of the best I've ever seen. Um, South African-born, Rich, and I started reading his book, The Judge, More Than Just a Game, and let me tell you, it is eye-opening, in fact, Um I didn't realise... I mean, I knew he had a reputation of being one of the nicest guys in cricket. Everyone who's ever played with him has said that. Um, he really struggled post-cricket. Um, uh, re- alcoholic, badly. Vodka. Mm. Uh, like, but, uh, look, more than I expected. Look, lost it all, actually. And had to, um, had to fight back from the very brink. That was quite sobering. But at the same time, it's not, not just all about that. I mean, he's a really interesting guy. And um, he came from South Africa, Rich, and his father was very wealthy. Um, and they kind of... Um, his father's business was, 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 it was some leather importing business or something. And, um, yeah, he did really well. And he had bowling machine, um, you know, like the best facilities. But he was an all-around sportsman from um, a young age. Like, he was the best rugby player, the best uh, you know, athletics uh, and obviously cricket player, um, and his father just drilled and drilled and drilled him like like you wouldn't believe. And they had guys like um, Barry Richards and Mike Proctor would come to their house and, um, you know, he'd set the bowling machine up for them and stuff in the 80s. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was a really interesting story, and I remember him super fondly because I used to really like watching him play. Um, and it brought back a lot of memories of the 90s kind of thing of the cricket when I think it was just so much fun. And Rich, obviously from South Africa, um, your perspective on a player like Robert Smith, I know he left, like Alan Lamb, he, you know, left uh, South Africa to play for England. This is pre, um, what do you call it? Oh, well, I guess it's in, in apartheid, isn't it? So you were still isolated? Yeah, well, we didn't we didn't come out of that till the, um, the 90s. Yeah. And so he left, well, he debuted for England in 88. His brother also played for England in the early 80s. Mm. Um, well, that's the thing. I mean, look, here's the thing. Um, I, I only really started watching cricket in the 90s. Like, yeah. I, I never really watched any of the old stuff. And, of course, in that day and age, you couldn't really watch old stuff. Sure. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not like today where, because of streaming and, and YouTube and all that sort of shit, you can, you can go back and watch mm. 
almost everything you missed. Like I, the only thing I could watch was nineties yeah. sort of cricket, and especially when um, when we came back onto uh, the the scene with you know Kepler Vessels, Andy sure. Cronier, um, the sure, Coastal Brothers, guys, yeah. Yeah. Uh, John T. Rhodes. You know that sort of stuff. That that's when I started watching cricket and get into it. So I don't really like. I know of the older players, but I I'm not like super familiar with mm. them and their matches and all that. Sure, he was saying in his book that um, the South African domestic scene in the 80s. He says it was like test level. It was incredibly competitive. Um, yeah, again, you had to be because yeah. <laughs> like um, you weren't exactly playing the rest of the world. Yeah, and he was saying like it was intense. Um, he yeah he the Curry Cup I think he said it was called I think that's what he said. Um, whatever it was he said he yeah he said it was the best training ground um, in terms of just the way they played it was just so in your face and just so intense. And I guess that shows when they came out of isolation they were a pretty strong team, you know. Yeah, we were, and but but also that's the team where all the um, World Cup bad luck started as well. Sure. That has never, uh, <laughs> uh, never ever been able to rectify. It's all the rain's fault when you had England in the, the semi-finals. The first, I believe, the first one was the Duckworth Lewis. We it got, was the rain. Uh, yeah. That one was not our fault. We no. literally got completely fucked over by the, which is why they they've uh, amended them. and mm. changed the Duckworth Lewis rules. Yep. Since then, I mean, at one point, I think. Because of the rain, we had to we had to score something like um, forty runs of seven balls. Yeah, it was crazy, and, it, yeah. and they still made them play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, and it it was, was not. a fucking point. Like even if even if all seven balls you hit six, mm. yeah. like you, you can't win. No, it was it was that was a crazy. I actually remember it, and yeah, that was not your fault. Um, but that was where I think the the voodoo hoodoo started. Yeah, that's where it all started. That's yeah, that was the start, and we've never ever been able to shake that um, shake that shit. Yeah, no, it's crazy. We've, it's it's festered in in their heads for for decades now. I think ninety nine was was probably the one where you guys really it started to really bite you guys in ninety nine those matches against the Australians because there was a fair bit of you know you kind of. You know what I mean? Like those matches there. I think that's where it really was like, yeah, the voodoo's really set in now, you know? Um, I mean, dude, I mean, God's sakes, um, the, the one where Klusner almost literally carried us to that's victory. The one. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, All, all by himself. And, you know, uh, he, he scored the most runs in that one. He, you know, everyone was falling around him. And then we get to Australia and he's actually dominating you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's doing a fantastic job. Everyone's just going around him, and he fucking gets Donald, mm. last batsman, who fucking drops his bat <laughs> running. Now I understand he's a he's a bowler, but Jesus Christ! Like you've been playing cricket for long enough, you know you got to hold on to your fucking bat when you run. Like, yeah, they fucked that up. That was insane. I, I remember that World Cup so vividly, and I remember that ma- it, it was it was just chaos because that was an incredibly good match. If he, if he had not dropped the bat, we would have actually knocked you out. Not that we yeah, deserved yeah. to, but we would have knocked you out. Oh, I know you would have. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were. Like I mean, as a team, as Klusner, he deserved to win. But as a team, we didn't deserve to win. Yeah, it was crazy. Now I said to you to pick your five top five international players batters in Test cricket. We can go one for one if you want. Um, and now it doesn't just have to be purely statistical. If you think it's someone who was incredibly good and totally up for the challenge. You know, however you define the best, 
that you, since you've started watching. So you don't need to go back and say, oh, Don Bradman. You know what I mean? Cause none no, of us no, saw no, no, no. I've yeah. kind of kept it around for, for when I've been watching cricket. So. All right. Now, my, mine are in no order, but you go first. We'll do one for one. So you go first. Yeah. With, with one Mine's not in any order either. Uh, either. Uh, mm. Sachin Tendulkar. Excellent player. Excellent player. You know, um, yeah, one of, one of the best mm. batters, period. Like, um, uh, again, he uh, watching him at a time when I was watching cricket, we're still new on the scene. Mm. Um, and, you know, just even when you're playing against India and all that, just watching him was like just watching a master play. He seemed to have a lot of time always, Session. Mm. You know, had a lot of t- had a. I mean, I would say an almost faultless technique, you know? Um, yeah. At times against the Aussies, um, I don't think he was as aggressive as he probably could have been. And I think that cost him at times. Like, he'd sort of settle into his shell. Um, against yeah, us. Probably the Aussies did that too. <laughs> Bullies, you know. Aussies well, I, no, Aussies. I think Glenn McGrath's bowling that, that economical line length. But I mean, by the way, I was at I was at the ground when Sashin scored a 200. And it was, um, he was having for what him would have been a lean run. And he did yeah. not drive a ball. It was the most boring 200 ever, but it was without a chance. He didn't offer a single chance. And he, he scored 200. SCG, I remember the match. Yeah, but I mean, again, you don't, like, again, as a batter, you just sometimes don't have a choice. Like, <clears throat> depending on the pitch, maybe yeah. the bowlers are actually doing a fucking phenomenal job. Yep. You know, they're getting their line and their length right and all that sort of stuff that you've got to adapt. And obviously, yeah. he was like, well, okay, well, <clears throat> I'm just going to play conservatively. Yeah. I'm not going to give away my wicket and we'll just keep going. Yeah, well, and on that tour, I think he was he was probably nicking the slips off Glenn McGrath or being caught driving in the covers, and he, so he just said, "I'm not going to drive today. I'm not mm. going to play the off drive," and he put it away. And it was like what you realised just how good this guy was because he, he he took a whole well, element out of his game. That's the problem with a lot of batters over like just cricket is that <clears throat> they don't adapt. Yeah, right. Like if if you're like, no, I I attack. Sure. Okay, great, but if it's not. If it's not in your favour to attack, if the grounds, the the pitch, yeah, it's you know it's not in your favour. Maybe the bowlers are just fucking they're on fire. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, they're yeah. just all clicking. Yeah, you need to adapt. Exactly, you need to. You, you need, need to, you need to be to able to, to judge. But a lot of batters can't, and that's why so many batters will go out. Yeah, because they they just cannot adapt. hundred Playing a different, uh, not style, but a different pace or a different. I would agree. Sachin Tendulkar, he's not in my top five, but he's close. And I would say that it, out of all the guys I ever watched, outside of Greg Chapel, I think he he seriously had probably the best technique, and he had so much time. You know, like he had soft hands. I've, I've, I've had a look at your list. We don't have a single match. <laughs> really? Okay, my yeah. list has slightly changed, so it might in my um. Okay, let's see. Yeah. Now my number one is of course Ricky Potty. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I think uh, look obviously excluding Donald Bradman, um, I think him and Greg Chappell are far in the leagues of the best Australian batters of all time, and I think Ricky's probably one of the best batsmen of all time. I mean, he just scored so heavily. Uh, he had everything. He hooked. He pulled. Drove. Cut. You know, there wasn't any weaknesses. Incredible in the field. On top of it all, mm-hmm. and a very aggressive captain. I mean, I just don't think that there's any weaknesses in Ricky Ponting's game at all. Really. Yeah. Uh, hmm. What are you? What are you humming and harring about over there? I agree with you that I think Australian-wise, he's one of the best batters you've ever had. Oh. I don't know if I'd say world though. Like, I don't know if I would. Like, I don't know if he would be. Well, his like, record's top up there. Five of the of like world, like all-time world. Like, I think he's I as know. good as Sashin, and I think he's as good as Lara. 
you know. Um, is he? Well, I mean, you know, his record's as good. I know, I know we're not purely going off stats, but do his stats back that up? 41 test hundreds, and I think 41 day hundreds as well. So, okay. yeah, he's right up there. I mean, he's got the most Australian hundreds comfortably, like Steve Smith chasing him. But, no, Ricky was a very, 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 very good player. Um, and selfless as well. Very attacking, but he had the complete game. That was the thing with Ricky. I think he just – he didn't have any weaknesses um, – he was a, you know, the only thing he was nervous starter, nervous starter. Even I, and I'm a, you know, could I be more of an Australian fan than a Ricky Ponting fan? He was a nervous starter, um, but comfortable against extreme pace, um, good against spin, not great against spin. That's one thing I would say that Sachin Tendulkar would have over him. Um, good against spin, but fantastic against pure pace. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think he's yeah. Again, I, I, I'm not disputing. Him being on your list, sure. Um, I just, I'm not, I'm not sure um, that I would say that he's like, w- like the best in the world. Like, if, if if you were going to give like, who's the number one batsman in the world? I don't know if I would pick him. Well, okay, but this is me. I will say this: during his career, he was ranked number one for long periods. You know, during his career, long periods at number one, had more time at number one probably than Brian Lara. I would say. Um, okay. Also with Ricky. If you go into his stats, look, Sachin Tendulkar's stats slightly better than him. Slightly. If you look at his victories, uh, Ricky's hundreds in, in winning matches and stuff, way above Tendulkar. Way above. So, you know how they say, like, Warner. When Warner converts to 100, Australia wins, like, something like 85% of the time. Ricky's very similar. Um, now, he did have a very strong team, you know, most of the time. Um... But yeah, incredible player, incredible player, and also a fantastic one-day player um, as well, and a big match player. So that's why he's there for me. Now, your your number two, Rich. Who have you got? Uh, well, you just mentioned him, Brian Lara. Well, I'm the same. I've got Brian Lara as well. So <laughs> yeah, I there were a lot of in that time, especially in the '90s. Uh, I was just, when West Indies were like n- not dominant, but they were more of a threat than sure. they are now. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, just had some phenomenal players. I just remember watching, you know, when they played against Australia, when they played against uh, South Africa. And if if Laura was on form, mm. uh, they were very hard to beat. He was dangerous. Uh, no, Brian Lara for me, like outside of Ricky, I guess, who I was his number one fan, Brian Lara to, to watch was incredibly, it was a pleasure. It was like watching um, David Gower bat. He was a beautiful player to watch. But also Lara, such a competitor, big match competitor, Held mm-hmm. his nerves. Um, yeah, no, he was an incredible player, man. Like, incredible. And, and I think as the years went on, just the the way he shouldered the West Indy batting, you know, and it wasn't easy because the team was in decline, mm. you know, for like, you know, the, his whole sort of like the last two-thirds of his career, he was kind of like the team's in decline and so much was expected of him and all the West Indian politics. He was a brilliant player. Very good record against Australia too. I I, I don't. How was he against South Africa? Did you watch him in some matches? I think he scored some hundreds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, they the, they played quite a, a, a few matches. I mean, him and uh, Chanderpaul. Oh yeah. Um, you know, again, if if the two of them yeah were were uh, on Shift. form and at the crease, again, very very hard to to um dislodge, to dislodge them. Well, like I, I would say to, this: you had to work hard. I know Shiv wasn't probably the most talented player in the world, but my God. An incredible, incredible, incredible worker. And, I mean, he 
he if Blara did it with genius, Chanderpool did it with sheer concentration and just he knew his game backwards. He was so hard to dislodge. I mean, the Aussies had so many problems getting Chanderpool out. He had so many good series mm. against us. He was a seriously he's not as gifted as the most of the the top echelon, but his his numbers are incredible. You know. And he played for close to 20 years, you know, um, mm. in a weakening team. It wouldn't have been easy, Chanderpool, because he played like a, probably another seven years after Lara retired. And in that time, the team just got weaker and weaker around him, you know. Mm. Wouldn't, be, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be easy, would it? Like having to hold up a team, you know what I mean? When you're seeing guys who just don't even have, let's face it, the raw talent anymore either, you know, around you. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, again, that's always been the, the like the West Indies' biggest problem has been they've they their brief moment where they had like the most dominant team in the world. Sure, for about twenty years. Since, yeah. Since then, they've never had like say more than three. Yeah. Great players at a time. Sure. And again, it, if those guys aren't firing, or if you get them out, then. Yeah. That's it. They were they were pretty much done, and oh, totally. they went like that. Even you know later, and in fact, they've got to the point now where I don't even know if you could say that they have three. Oh, they like, don't. They don't. Great players anymore. Like, they, they've got know, some good players now, but um, one of them is Chanderpaul's son. Um, mm. but they're not. They're not. You know the level of what Alara and I mean, God forbid, back in the day in the eighties when they were just like Jesus Christ, a team of superstars. You know. Mm. Um, but all that comes, you know what a lot of that comes down to? Not, I shouldn't say all, a lot of that comes down to just very poor um, infrastructure and training and pathways and, you know, not, not channeling the talent and, and all that. Like, it's a complete failure uh, of the cricket board over there. They've just completely failed in their mission, you know? Um, yeah, it makes you wonder just what's happened with money, oh, if there's been any management. naughty shenanigans and... Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, stuff and all that. Misallocation so. of funds. And, but at one point, they were blaming video games. It's like the, the problem goes a lot deeper than video games, guys. You know? Um, and they have had yeah. some good players, but it's... When it comes to tough, the, the, you always look for a scapegoat. Exactly. GTA. Uh, so we agreed on Brian Lara. Now, yes. I've, I've mentioned him in the show. Now, Robin Smith, for me... The reason I'm putting in, him in the, in, the, in the thing... He averaged in the mid-40s. He, he scored, you know, hundreds... Brilliant player to watch, and uh, that's what I liked about him. He was in a very weak English squad. He always took the bowling on. He was a beautiful player of, of pace, pure pace. I've, I've, I would say I've never seen a player, uh, un- uh, maybe unless it's Ricky, able to take on such pace and so aggressively, and that was his game. He had the best square cut I've ever seen, ever. Also a mm. great driver of the ball. Fanta- I, I watched... In the 90s, would have been 93 Ashes, it was a um, one-day game. And he took our bowlers to absolute task and, and scored like a 167, I think. And I've, I've, it was just a demolishment, do you know what I mean, of the Australian bowling, mm. which was a strong bowling attack. And I was watching it thinking, this guy is a master. And, I mean, he was scoring until the end. England dropped him when he was only 33, and he was still scoring. It was just shenanigans at the English level. Um they just sort of, you know, they, they had that kind of like, they'd sack half the team kind of style thing between games, and that's what they did to him. And, you know, it was a shame because I remember in his last World Cup, he came out 
I don't think he, he'd been selected for the first couple because I think the new selectors didn't like him. He, he scored a 75 against Pakistan, brilliant innings, you know, and that was one of his last innings internationally. He was... So, I mean, I know I'm reading the book and I'm just like, it's brought back so many memories of that team, that English squad, always had good players, but, oh, my God, I mean, they'll play in the Aussies every two years, Rich, and just getting their asses handed to them, you know? Mm. A very strong Australian team. So he was a good player. Uh, who's your next up, Rich? Uh, Jacques Gallas. Very deserving. Very deserving player. And I would be surprised. One of South Africa's um, best sure. uh, overall batters. Again, I'd, I'd probably put him in a top 10 of the world. Maybe sure. six or seven. Sure. Maybe maybe five, if I'm being generous. Uh, but just from South Africa's point of view, probably one of our yeah oh. best dependable um, just you know statesmen that we've had who probably has pretty much had the longest I would say of most South African careers um, in playing cricket. Um, been there a long, long time. Fantastic player. I mean, you'd kill for him now, wouldn't you? Seriously, can you imagine? I mean, he bowled as well, didn't he? No, he was an all-rounder. Yeah. He was uh, he, he could bat and ball. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident he took over 200 Test wickets. You know, I mean, he could he could seriously play. He was, I mean, my God, he was a constant thorn in our fucking sides. Um, but also, just always to me, he just seemed very calm. You know, and uh, composed at the mm. crease, and not a not a player with like a Lara had so much flair. Jack Cullis just sort of just got the job done. It just seemed like to me, like he yeah. Was- I mean, a lot of people have, and that's why I said, like, a lot of people um, have always derided him as really? being boring, slow, and I'm like, yeah, but well, you know what I mean. But he gets he, he gets done. the job done, and in when it's all falling around him, mm. he's he's the 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 anchor that's keeping that that ship from going off. And, and you know he what could I mean? play aggressively. I mean, I know he could play some slow innings, but I've seen Jack Callis open up. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Again, it depends on the pitch. It depends on yeah. You know, if the bowlers are bowling it too wide. But I mean, again, at that level, you're generally playing against against the best. And he was just really good at, in a way, like tiring the yeah. bowlers out, yeah. like making them expend the most energy. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, to maybe towards the end of their innings, he would then start opening up because they'd be, like, a bit more sloppy. Where did he come in, Rich? Was, was, was he a number three? He was a number four player most of his career, wasn't he? Came in at four, I'm pretty sure. Uh, three and four, yes. I'm just looking at his stats. I'm pretty confident he averaged... I think he started three and then went down to four later on. Yeah, I'm pretty confident. Yeah, he averaged 55 in test cricket and 44 in in um, ODIs. That's pretty good, you know? And he played yeah. 166 games. So... It's like Ricky. You play that many games, you, you don't get a. You, you're not like these guys who play like 15 games and have a high average. You play 166. Um, mm. You have to be incredible to have a 55 average. Now he was a very, very good player. When did he retire, Rich? Um, was, I think. Oh shit. 2013. It was, uh, yeah, I was gonna say. I think it's about 15 years ago now. After like yeah. 12, something like that. He's missed, isn't he? In 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 um. That caliber yeah. of player, you know, you don't, you, you guys haven't. I don't think you've had a player as good as a batsman as good as him since. I can't. Who, who would you think? Amla, close, you know. Graham um, Smith was good. 
but Callas was next level. I think I, I think Amla in his glory days was probably at that level, but he sort of troughed a little bit towards the end. Mm. You know, um, now Jack Callas was he was a rock, um, good player, very good player. Now I've got probably <laughs> it's hilarious. Probably was as a kid I just worshipped Greg Chapel. Um, I don't think. I mean, I know he had a, a run where he got a few ducks, but outside of that, I mean, God, he was a brilliant player. You watch him, it's very similar watching Sajin Tendulkar. Had a lot of time, had the complete game. Um, I was watching a YouTube video where, I want to say Derek Underwood was bowling and Greg Chappell played a late cut. And I said, I have not seen someone play a late cut so well ever since. You know? Um, mm. He was a gifted player. I mean, he was fantastic against pace, fantastic against spin, didn't didn't have any weaknesses. Averaged close to fifty four in Test match cricket. Could bowl as well. I uh, was a handy handy bowler. And I remember back in the day, you know, I'm a young kid. We had the. I'm sure you had them in South Africa. Kind of like, I think they came with bubble gum, but they were like the cricketing cards, um, like football cards and stuff. And I had the Great Chapel one, and it was of him bowling, and no one wanted it, and I was like, I want it. <laughs> Because <laughs> he, he used to sometimes take some wickets. He he bowled kind of like a describe it as a slow medium pace, like it was it was tricky. Um, but yeah, he was a he was a great player. I, I know he's before your time, Rich. Like because I'm a few years older, and he'd retired. Well, I guess you weren't even in the country, were you? So you wouldn't, you know, you know him probably by legend rather than by actually watching him. But I watched him for a good yeah. three or four years as a young guy. Incredibly good player. Um, for me, it's him or Ricky is the best player since a uh, batsman since Bradman. I, I think they're they're that far above the rest in Australian cricket. Um, now, who, who have you got, man? Uh, so my next one is actually another um, West Indie, mm. uh, Chris Gale. Oh wow, yeah, a little bit, a little bit later, but um, aggressive. I just he was just a fu- he was a lot of fun to watch. He was, he was. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? He was just entertaining. I've never. I don't think I've been as entertained watching a guy bat. Yeah, yeah, no, he's good as guy. as Gale because he's big, he's powerful. Oh yeah, he's you're like you know what I mean. He dominate like he dominated batsmen. Yeah, like he yeah. like you know when when he was like in the zone, he made almost every bowler his bitch. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 literally. You know, he reminded me of a more aggressive Matt Hayden because he did the same thing. Chris Gale was. He's almost underrated in a weird way because he's associated with mm. T20. But, you know, he, I agree with you. He could tear bowlers apart, you know? Yeah. I, I've got him on the list because it's the most recent one I have. But he's, other than, like, De Villiers. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, A.B. De Villiers. I can't think of anyone that, like, entertained me uh, in that period. Like, the sort of 2010s. Yeah, for me, um, in terms of entertainment, it would have been Brian Lara. But you're right, um, Chris Gale, I mean, he was just, uh, I don't even know the word to describe it, like, um, just so attacking, you know? It was a toss-up between AB and Gale, but I actually thought about it, and I think Gale was just more consistent than AB. Sure. Like, AB, yes, I mean, you know, scores fucking Foster's 100, you know, Shortest under all that sort of stuff, mate. Like, but and then Laura uh, and then uh, Gail would come and like hit the most sixes, you know, <laughs> in a row or in the game and whatever. Like, the two of them I felt like really kind of like drove each other. Yeah. Like, the two of them were just doing like crazy shit. Yeah. Like, you know, at that period of time. But I would probably say, while they're both very prolific mm. and thoroughly entertaining, I do think Gail was 
just a little bit more consistent in that pe- in that period than um, probably when he was hot. AB. Chris Gale was incredibly hot. You know that was yeah. the thing with him. But also, AB had like back issues and I was injuries say, and yes. yes stuff and all that. So that probably didn't help. Did AB um, he wicket kept at times? Didn't he? Am I right saying that? Well, I think that's kind of what, uh, and then he had to stop wikiing because uh, of his back injury. So he he actually yeah. was a wiki keeper. I feel like that robbed him of probably bring... five years of his career. You know, um... yeah. Well, that's why they brought in De Kock, um right. because right. Uh, Ab was a a wiki keeper that had been his okay his spot. Uh, but I think then he really fucked his back up. I don't, I can't remember how he's done it, but he just had a. A really bad back Well, it's bad for your back, you know. Like, also, I I, I want to say that, um, and you know much more about Abita Villiers being a South African. You would have followed him more closely, but he was just an incredible player. But they separated his stats from when he wicket-keeped and batted or just batted. And he's, when he just batted by him, without it, I think there was a substantial, you know, differential uh, in mm. the stats. But, yeah, now he was an incredible player, man. I mean, Chris Gale was... I think with Chris Gale... Uh, and I know he kind of he probably played a couple of years too long, but who doesn't for the money? But even yeah. even in his like old age, you know, you also have to remember when we were watching when I was growing up watching cricket, mm. we didn't have the twenty um, twenties, we didn't have the IPL. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. So careers were much shorter generally. Do you know what I mean? I think what would be like the average, maybe like ten years, yeah. was probably the average. Yeah, you'd maybe have a couple that went for fifteen years or you know, um, or, or something like that, you know, maybe close to 20. But I would say probably the average of like a cricket player was around about 10 years because one, they were getting a bit older. Yeah. But there was nowhere to go. Like if you didn't get picked for the team. Yes. It's not like, you know what I mean? Because um, the, the the clubs and, and, and all that, they are interested in, in farming the new generation. Yeah. yeah. They, they're the ones cultivating the new talent. So once you're finished in the the international level, that's it. You pretty much have to retire because... Yeah. But now you've done it. Yeah, now you can... Now you can go to the Big Bash. Now you can go to the IPL. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And now they've added the 2020 to the international um, thing. So now it's not just test match and and 50 overs or ODIs. It's now uh, 2020. So your career can go on for probably too long. <laughs> well, let, well, let's face it, like, but also big money. Like, let's face it, when Warner retires, he's probably going to play T20 for two, three more years and get big, big money, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, and why oh, yeah. not? Like, um, and Chris Gale, like, but even in his later years, was still capable of hitting a big ball, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I think he just had an incredible eye and he knew his scoring options and he just was one of those guys... Um, he just trusted his eye. He he was he was kind of very calm actually at the cri- for all his aggression. He actually had a weird calmness about him when he was batting. You know, mm. um, yeah, he's an interesting player, Chris. Cole. I'm glad you mentioned him because I always feel probably slightly underrated actually as a, as a batter. You know, I think he. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think he's top ten, but he's definitely mm. like in that sort of top. Well, 15. if we were picking a, a T twenty. Best of side, I'd have him in there, you know, oh, for sure, as yeah. an opener oh, yeah. for sure. And of course, you pick them in their prime, you know. You you know when he's probably about thirty, you know, or mm. thirty to thirty or about thirty five. He was really in his prime. Now, is it my turn? Um, it is. Yeah. Okay. I've got um, uh, Viv Richards uh, because all I remember that guy doing is scoring fucking runs against Australians, and I mean, my God, like. 
they torched us like you wouldn't believe all through the 80s, Rich. Like, it was just, uh, you know, series after series, and, and there was just something different about him. Like, it was just like you... Gary had this huge reputation, but he just backed it up. Um, and, yeah, he was an incredibly good player, and he has an incredibly good record. Um, he would have been a massive T20 superstar if he'd been, you know, like 30 years later. But I think he's one of those guys that sort of revolutionised the game. And it was more than just... People always talk about how he was, like, so, you know, arrogant slash confident. But he also had a fucking great game. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. he backed it up. Like a great chapel, he backed it up and... That was um, some of the, like, although I used to hate watching us get beaten, we were beaten by a far better team, so you kind of had to give it to them, if you know what I mean. You had to kind of doff your cap and say they're just a lot better, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and, um, yeah, no, I think I think he was an inspiration to a lot of people who play cricket and a lot of youngsters watching and stuff. I think um, he was one of the, I think, one of the sort of pioneers of, of modern cricket. I, I think he was a fantastic player. Um, again, probably before your time, Rich, in terms of watching. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, again, I, I, much later in my life did I go. Have I seen like documentaries and, and mm. old games? But growing up, never watched a single old game. Yeah, um, not, out of, not, out of, not out of choice. I mean, no, no, no. Well, that no was one thing it. in Robin Smith's book. He was saying, and this doesn't surprise me, I guess. But in South Africa during the apartheid, the news was heavily regulated. Um, he was saying, like the in terms of, like, the news that... And also there was, like, a massive thing against, like, pornography and stuff. Like, it was very censored, apparently, um, which is interesting. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that's my final one. Who's your final one, Rich? All right, so my final one is just... Uh, my pick is for the memories. Um, sure. I don't think he would probably be in most people's top 20 or anything like that, uh, but Gary Kirsten... Oh yeah. Um, the reason for that is he was my he was my favorite batter. Like when I started watching cricket. Sure. So obviously when I started watching cricket, you had you know that was the time of um, Kepler Vessels, Hansi Kronier. Yeah. Uh, Funny De Villiers was always. Uh, I used you know, to love Funny De Villiers. <laughs> Pat Simcox were like the two yeah. clowns, always uh, practical joking and all that sort of stuff. Obviously you got your Alan Donald, uh, Brian McMillan. Yeah. Uh, Dave Richardson that was the wiki keeper you know your John T. Rhodes sure. and then you know you also had the Kirsten brothers now Gary Kirsten and Peter Kirsten Peter Kirsten was a bit older so his was. career was much 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 shorter I, I loved Peter Kirsten with the moustache yeah yes um, you know but he was much, he was older so was. I think Gary started when he was about 26 and I think uh, uh, Peter uh, Peter Kirsten was already like in his 30s it, uh, so easily he's, yeah yeah. His career was much shorter, but the two of them were opening, you know, the brother pair of opening. So they were actual that. brothers, were they? I didn't realize yeah. that. I, they were I loved watching um, uh, Gary Kirsten um, bat. I, that was, I was fucking annoyed whenever he went out. <laughs> well, know. I'll tell you what, I'm looking at his um, record. Averages 45. He's got 2100s in Test cricket. Not bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he was a very good um, a, a batter. I think... I think his highest ranking that he reached in his ten-year career was probably four. Sure. Um, you know, but again, I'm just overall. I don't know of too many people that would put him in. Like, you know, maybe he might be in the top fifty, but I don't think he'll be. Well, I think South like, Africans, um, when they're picking uh, openers, would remember him. You know. And, yeah. You know. But I just loved watching him, and he was my favorite. 
in, in my adolescent uh, time, sort of, you know, when I say adolescent, I mean in my teens, yeah. um, time of when I first started watching cricket, he was my, my favourite Southern cricketer, and so he has to be on the list. You know what I remember him as well? In, in one of the World Cups, he scored a massive 188. I remember that in the 96 World Cup against the United Arab Emirates. And it was just like, that was when it was like, seriously, that was a huge, well, it still is a huge score in a one-day game. But it was just like, wow. You know, he could, now he could play, man. I mean, he's one of those guys, like, you're right, a lot of people would, you know, not come, he wouldn't come to mind first off. But when you look at it, you're like, actually, he's right up there in terms of openers, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at his um, stats, solid Stats. I mean, he has scored. If you look at his ODI and you look at his test, he has scored plenty of hundreds, plenty of fifties. Um, he's even scored a couple of double yeah. centuries. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Um, as you say, an average of almost fifty. Yeah. It's that's fucking solid. Like you'd, you'd kill for him numbers. now. You'd kill for him now, and as an opener in the test squad for the South Africans, wouldn't you? Oh, for sure. Oh God, uh, uh, that caliber. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. I remember. Um, when it was him and his brother. I used to love his brother. His brother seemed like a bit of a character, you know, like he seemed, I think I remember him, he, he, he just seemed quite a bit of a jokester, you know, Peter Kirsten. Uh, I don't know what he was like really, but he, he seemed to have that sort of sly wit when I, when I remember interviews and him out on the field, he was always smiling a lot and he had that moustache. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good player. Uh, yeah, we had a, a bit of a cheeky smile. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good stuff. Well, honourable mentions for me, um, Shiv Chanderpaul and Matt Hayden and Graham Gooch. They're my honourable mentions. They all got heavily considered. Matt Hayden was an incredible player. Um, Shiv Chanderpaul's record speaks for himself, and, and Gucci was an incredible player. Uh, he held that English team together by himself for a few years, you know, uh, when it wasn't easy, you know, opening up. With kind of a bunch of losers as well. Like it's not it, it's not it's not easy leading a weak team against very strong teams and having to sort of like AB used to have to do Alan Border, you know, hold the team together. You know, it's tough. Uh, match after match, you know. Mm. Um, who have you got as an honourable mention, Rich? Anyone who sort of almost made the cut but did not quite? Uh, 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 Dravid. Oh yeah, well yeah, definitely. Raul Dravid, yeah, mm. good pick. Very good pick. Uh, very good pick. I, 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 when I was going through it, because again, I, if you noticed, except for Gail, mm. most of the most of my picks are just what I grew up watching. That's a, fine. a lot of the yeah. players were yeah. just that sort of nineties, early two thousands um, period, because that's when I just that's when I that's when I did my most cricket watching. Sure. Yeah, that was the highlights. Yeah, yeah you know, I'm, I'm young. I'm playing sport. You know, I'm watching sport all the time. I'm. I'm watching every single South African cricket game that I can, and all that sort of stuff. Like that was that was the golden yeah. uh, uh, age of of. of and yeah, you had a good team. Always helps, you know what I mean. Like encourages you as a fan. Like we can win this, you know what I mean. Like you guys were always in the mix. Um, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. A lot of a lot of big characters as well um, in that era. You know, when I think of the Aussies and the South Africans clashing, it was big, big personalities. You know, big egos. Yeah. And uh, it was a lot of fun, actually. I, I, I miss those days because I used to, we used to love playing you guys because it was just like fucking just on from ball one, you know. It was like, and well, I'm remembering the uh, the Hansi Cronje era. I mean, we were at each other's throats, you know. It was pretty fun. It was good times. Um, mm. Now, 
Okay, so that's our cricket section. Um, we're a bit light on news, so I thought we'd, we wanted our memory lane. Uh, thank you to the US listeners who've managed to survive that. Um, we'll put that on the back burner. Um, now, Richard, you've got a review. You watched Napoleon um, by Ridley yeah, Scott. Yeah, I did. Now, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I do know that there's going to be an extra hour, apparently, on Apple TV yeah, that, when it comes that out. That hour's not going to help that movie. All right, well, give us your review, Rich, because you've seen it. Um, well, so the first thing I'll say is right now there's a four-hour and 40-minute um, free documentary on YouTube okay. on Napoleon that I would recommend more than this movie. Oh, okay, so nothing to do with this film, just to... Yeah, just okay. if you want, if you want to actually like, um, n- actually know about Napoleon, because this movie mm. does not give you any context for anything. Basically, in fact, really? this movie should have been called <laughs> Napoleon and Josephine. Is and it more of a love story? I don't have a problem with them wanting to focus on that, but the problem is, is they didn't even get that the full focus either. So you have this movie that either should have been Napoleon and uh-huh. his military career yeah he rose and fell uh-huh. or it should have just been about his love life <laughs> and and his wife and the divorce <laughs> and all that sort of shit because they try in two hours and 40 minutes yeah they try and do both and you actually walk away with nothing so wow. you get no context things just so <clears throat> they just cut to the battle of waterloo really that's it they just cut to it so the yeah. um, they make out that he came back from, um, from the uh, uh, exile. Yeah, for Josephine, which he didn't, because Josephine died when he was in exile. Right. Um, he actually came back as one of his majors or his generals, whatever you want to call them. Basically, said, "Hey, listen, you, need, you come back and we'll support you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. He um, escaped, yeah, and, and came you know, back, and yeah. yeah. But, so he does that, mm. right? So they have the moment where he says, "You know, the famous opens his coat and says, if you want to kill me, kill me.'" And all of his soldiers are like, "Rah, you're the best," but, and then just cuts to Waterloo. Right, like really? basically. Oh wait, sorry. He goes to Josephine's uh, daughter, and he has his little cry uh, uh, about you know her death and wears his letters and all that sort of shit and all that. And then he storms off, and then we're all on. We're at the Battle of Waterloo, and it's like, mm. dude, so much happened in between that. Mm. Like, mm. and then it's just the final battle, just of like him losing, and you yeah. go, wow, this really makes him look bad, <laughs> and it's like. This movie does not do any... And I'm not saying he's some great... Like, okay, he's a great guy, as in he achieved great things. Sure. And he did great things. Terrible things, but great things. But this movie does not really um, like him. Right, right. <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. Like, it paints him... Um, it paints him quite negatively and almost autistic. Right, and, right. Um, clumsy all the time and like a, a doofus okay. um you know like now don't get me wrong i mean visually the thing, the movie is great and the battle scenes look fucking phenomenal yeah but, but as a story yeah this is a this is a bullet point movie right it just jumps from bullet point to bullet point i wondered and, and how they were going to do the whole career because i it's a long career you know yeah, but my point is, if you only had two hours and 40 minutes, mm. and even if you're going to add another hour on, if you've only got three hours, mm. you know, and three and a half hours or whatever, mm. you still you still kind of need to pick one. Because here's the thing. What, so one of his, um, not one of his generals at the time, because he was the general, uh, one of his majors, right, mm. tells him that, hey, Josephine's cheating on you. Right. Right. And this guy is, is like kind of with him from like the start of his career, basically, right? Yeah. Doesn't have too many lines and stuff and all that. Then just completely disappears after that. 
right. never to be seen or mentioned again. Uh, he divorces Josephine. He marries the Austrian um, princess or whatever um, to have a, a, an heir. And then the baby and her are never seen again. Right. So they introduce her. They then they cut to him having a baby, and he goes to show Josephine the baby, uh-huh. and then that's it. We never see that the the new wife or the child ever again. And how is Joaquin Phoenix in the role? Not good. Is it a normal Joaquin Phoenix like that twitchy, nervous performance? Yeah, he like especially at the start, he yeah. plays him very. Now again, I understand. We've got the records and we've got his diaries, and he was a little bit awkward at the start, you know, in his younger days. Sure. But we also know that he became quite a fucking lover, romantic, passionate guy yeah. late in life, and Joaquim never quite reaches that. Okay. Yeah. So Joaquim just seems to kind of play him weird and awkward, like, kind of the whole movie. Like, maybe a little less. Well, I mean, that's his stock in trade, isn't it, basically? You know. Yeah, we never get to see the sort of charismatic, um, speechifying right. Napoleon. Do you know what I mean? And mm. we never really see him have the love of his soldiers. Um, and again, it just it goes through so much stuff, and you it loses so much context. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like they make him look like an absolute buffoon with the Russian, um, with his war in Russia. And while he yes, he did make mistakes in that. The way the movie portrays it, like it was a Utter cock up, like that he, he, got, he got to Moscow, didn't he? Didn't he get to like the suburbs of Moscow and then got turned around? No, they got to Moscow and they burnt, and not them, but the the Russians burnt burnt Moscow to sort of yeah. deprive it for him. But he got there, and in fact, they actually looted and and whatever. Um, uh, and but the way they make it is like he was just so fucking stupid, and um, you know, well, he that's was just a shame a, a because he he wasn't stupid, you know. Um, no, um, I mean there is one moment with the one battle where they where he's fighting Austria and Russia. Um, that they show his military sort of genius, but that's really kind of really the only time. So that's that's weird because he was a brilliant he was a brilliant general. Even the, I know he didn't win in the end, but my fucking god, he won a lot of battles along the way. And yeah. you know, but again, so again, and this is my problem with it because I'm not I'm not a massive Napoleon fan, but I do know some of his battles, right? Sure. And that last battle where he was fighting England and Prussia, yeah, the coalition, um, and all that sort of stuff. It was actually one of his marshals. That, that pretty much cost him that war. Because when he was fighting Prussia, this guy was supposed to attack um, the, sm- the, the, the smaller force at the time of, like, Wellington and all that. Yeah. And that guy hesitated because he believed that he was going up against a much larger force. Right. Like, he, he thought he was going up against the bulk of the army. And so while Napoleon was actually smashing Prussia, he kept commanding this guy to fucking attack... And he never attacked. Right. Right. Now, you also find out that, that, that not in the movie, this, you have to fucking do your own research. Yeah. You find out that Marshall didn't actually want to back Napoleon when he came back. Right. He only did it because the soldiers basically would have revolted and yeah. probably killed him, right? Wow. That guy actually, but again, in the movie, it makes it look like, oh, it was rain and he just stupidly wanted to uh, attack Wellington. Right. Um, That's a shame. And and it's like it does the movie does not give Napoleon his due that it yeah. just doesn't. I'm That's not saying a he's a good guy. He's, a, he's like let me go. You're gonna paint him as a hero, but no, no, no. Th- this movie does not give Napoleon his dues. I mean, I, I'm no expert. I, I find him fascinating, but I, uh, I it's an area of history where I I know nothing but the most you know over the top you know brief points. Yeah. Um, but and, and you know what's so yeah. weird, hmm. like 
they only show one, two, three, four. They only really show four battles in the whole movie, right? Really? And then at the end of the movie, they go, oh, he was in, you know, 52 whatever um, yeah, battles right. and all that. And then, and then they give you a list of all how many French people died in each war. And then at the end, it like, gives what? you this total of like three million. I'm like, what does that mean? the fuck is that? What, what message? Like, you didn't make that part of the message of the movie. <laughs> you didn't once make a fucking big deal about like how many people were dying in his wars. But then at the end of the movie, that's all you have to say about Napoleon yeah. was that three million soldiers died in his campaigns. Like, mm. I understand that's factual, but that's what you end. That, that's the only. That's what you end with of the the fucking legacy of Napoleon. Also, can I say he wasn't the only guy starting wars. You know what I mean? There was a lot of hustling and bustling in that time period, you know? But that's what I find... I find It's why I find modern people so fascinating because I think too many people don't... I think everyone needs to study history. Like, yeah. I, I do honestly think that needs to be mandatory yeah. because you got people today, right, who will be like, oh, my God, America's so disgusting. They'll go into the Middle East and they'll, you know, get rid of the leader and they'll put another guy on. And it's so disgusting. I'm like, we've literally been doing that since yeah. the fucking formation of empires. Yeah, like exactly. since the very first fucking civilization yeah, made an empire yeah. and empires went to war and whatever. I mean, literally, the reason that the whole battle of Waterloo and he was going up against Prussia because they wanted to get him off the throne. Totally, yeah, totally. Because yeah. they didn't want him to be so to to complain about how like we do it today. I'm not saying it's right, but good lord, don't act like oh yeah, like you know America doing that in the Middle East is like some new disgusting thing no. that only yeah. Like America does, the whole world does. Well, they, 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 yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. The the level. One thing I can't stand is when they want to uh, review a time period from like two or three hundred years ago, or, or or even a lot longer, with the viewpoints of twenty twenty three, because it just doesn't work. You know, mm. it just fails. And, and Napoleon's a complex character. I, look. And I know, and I know that knowing his stuff at a distance, um, he's equal part hero and villain in a way. But I mean, so are most leaders, you know, who running empires and stuff and making those kind of decisions and incredibly ambitious, incredibly brilliant. You know, um, you know, at the end, it, it, you know, I guess you know you can say he loses, but I, I don't know. It was also a huge coalition against him. I know that at the end. Mm. Um, I, so, you know. what's, what I find so almost kind of tragic about Napoleon, right, is mm. when he actually came back from exile, mm. um, he actually didn't want to. Um, he didn't want to conquer anymore. Right. So when he came back, he, he again. This is from his diaries and stuff and all that. He just wanted to rule France and make sure that France was sure like protected and that France was like safe. He didn't actually want to go and like go and conquer. Like he, he said, like, "I'm too old. I'm too fat. I'm too yeah. I'm too ill. I just want to make sure that France is." But I, I mean, from the British side and all that, I guess they greatly feared having Napoleon. Of course, they couldn't take that chance because again, he was literally like, you know. I mean, I don't think anyone had seen someone like Napoleon since you know uh, Genghis Khan and, and Alexander, and you know sure. what I mean, and yeah. Yeah. and Rome, like of someone who like just had so many successful campaigns in yeah. conquering yeah. like uh, everyone else you know what i mean like uh, and and so i understand but i'm just saying that's the sad thing is that mm. at the end of at the end of it where he actually didn't want to yeah <laughs> he didn't want to do that anymore like he coun't just be that because of the legacy and 
I've got a question. How long after the revolution does Napoleon's career start? Like, is it within about fifty years or, or so? Or no, 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 no. It's um, it's it's right about that time. Okay, so it's um, it's more like twenty years from the so revolution. So he's actually a um, is it? A, I think he's like a gunner or something like that. Right. Um, in the in the in the army when the the whole um revolution happens. Um, okay, so he comes out of the revolution because that's something that I've, I knew he was close, but I was never sure how close. Right? Okay. Yeah. So he had he obviously he had goals and he had ambitions of of, of achieving higher rank, mm. and he managed to achieve that um, in the one battle where he led, and it was to take back a port, a harbor mm. from the English. Right. Um, and and sort of who plays that, like then, Wellington? Who who is there a famous actor or is it anyone of note? It's uh, you remember Rupert Everett. Yeah, yeah. So he's unrecognizable, by the way. I saw his name in in the start of the credits, right? Mm. I was like, oh, Rupert Everett. Just haven't seen him in a long time. And I was looking for him through the whole fucking movie. Yeah. And then he's Wellington. And it took me a a moment to realize it is because either he's gotten really old and flabby or they've put some prosthetics on Uh, him. You know where he was? He was in, um, oh, no, it wasn't Rupert. Oh, Rupert Everett's the gay guy. Yeah. Yeah? Oh, right. You know, I was thinking of someone else. I think it. That, I think that's the most famous thing I know from my best Yeah, interview. maybe it wasn't him. There was someone in Secret Invasion. It might have been Delbert Mulroney. Someone from way back in the day turned up in Secret Invasion. Oh, yeah, Rupert Everett. I remember Rupert Everett. But what, he's fat now? Because I remember him being quite thin. Well, when you get older, you've got the jowls. And, yeah. And yeah. He's, he's de- he doesn't have that, like, angular, right. sharp face anymore. So it took me a while to, you know. And I'm not dissing him or anything. It's just that, obviously, we all get old. But oh, yeah. I was looking for him the whole movie, and then I almost didn't spot him because... He looks so old and different. But again, they could have also put a bit of prosthetics on him or, you know, yeah. used him up that made it hard to spot and all that. But he, he actually played Wellington. Is he um, in it much or is it all from, you know, how much do we see of, of, of Wellington in this? Oh, no, nothing. Again, uh, oh. the first time we see him is right at the end, just before the, the Battle of Waterloo. Who is the guy him. who was in a naval battle with him? There was a naval... <laughs> There was a British naval battle against Napoleon where I th- want to... Yes, see- which, by the way, they don't even cover in this movie at all. Is that Trafalgar? Yes. Oh, so that, that that's not in the movie. I would have thought that would be no. in the movie. No, they make alludes to it. Like, he keeps talking about the, the British Navy and mm. at the end of the movie when he's captured, he, he goes, I must compliment the British on their Navy and all that sort of stuff. And it's like... They, so they make references that he's not good at naval, but they never, ever showed it. So how does it end? Is he, like, shot or something or what? No, again, he gets exiled. Right. So oh. um, I guess they didn't want to make him a martyr or something like that. Oh, so um, they don't kill him? No, they just shove him on a tiny fucking island off of Africa. <laughs> really? Where he dies. But to be fair, he was literally sick and dying at the Battle of Waterloo anyway, which right. again, they do not cover in the movie. Right. Okay, because I never was quite sure how, exactly how yeah. he died. At the Battle of Waterloo, he was actually quite sick. Um, he was quite, uh, I mean, he's, he's old now. Again, yeah, he's older. In those days, being in your 50s is old. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, and he probably had God knows what health conditions and stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. And they barely, I mean, they, Jesus Christ, the Egyptian campaign breezed over. I see, yeah, I would have liked to have read. I would have liked to have seen that. Where he fires the cannons at the pyramids. That's it. Over. Done. Right. Do they show the bit where he uncovers the Rosetta Stone? No. Oh. Because he did that, that where his army did that, they uncovered the Rosetta Stone and, and were able to um, uh, decrypt the hieroglyphics and stuff. No, no, again, nothing. Mm. This 
This movie doesn't. It feels like this movie's kind of like there's too you much to will cover. Learn literally nothing about oh, Napoleon if you watch this movie. That's a shame. Well, I, I I got on Audible recently. Napoleon: A Life, a really highly regarded biography of the whole career and life and everything, which I want to actually read because I am interested. Like, you know me, I love my history, and mm. sometimes it's areas where I I know nothing but the broader strokes that are so fascinating to really get into because you learn so much. You know, it's not. Um, Dude, history, that, uh, this is why I feel like history should be compulsory because history is fascinating. Definitely. Right? Yeah. Like, history is sometimes far more entertaining than actual fiction. Definitely, yeah. Right? Yeah. If you actually read, or, or, or again, or even just watch a documentary, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, on Napoleon, where, they, where they, they're trying to give you the facts and, and tell you exactly what happened and whatever, it's fascinating the life that he led, man. Mm. It's utterly fucking fascinating. It's like out of Game of Thrones, for God's sake. Like, I'm not joking. Yeah. And so what was the thing with his wife? She Was it just like a really toxic relationship? Why is it so well, fascinating? You know what's so funny? Don't they understand. don't even, in the movie, they don't even tell you that Josephine's a whore. <laughs> is she? Like, in real life, he met her in a brothel. Really? Yeah. Okay. In oh. this one, it makes it, the, the, it looks like he just met her at like a pub, you know, right. like a, okay. a soiree kind of thing and all that sort of stuff. Um, oh, so she wasn't now, like a noble woman or anything? So, uh, but only if you know history would you know that. Because... The movie doesn't tell you that. So she wasn't a noble or anything. She was just like an average she person. She was. Okay. Like from her first husband, but then she was in jail. Oh. From, and she basically let uh, guys fuck her in that because the only way they, the, she was told the only way to live is to be pregnant. Like oh. they wouldn't execute you or kill if you were pregnant. So oh. she had like kids while she was in jail and stuff and all that. Which again, those kids are pretty much never brought up <laughs> ever. Like oh. again, and, and what was the but, story um, though that they were very toxic? That's all I know. Wasn't it like they were at each other's throats all the time or something? Or is that right? Uh, I mean, they're not re- again. Uh, they they had a very weird relationship, and this movie just kind of plays him as like a, a simp, kind of just plays him like a bit of a, a cuckold. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Okay. Um, like this one where he, again the guy tells him that she's having an affair. He goes back to France. She's quickly rushing back to the 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 home, uh-huh. and she finds the suitcases out and all that. And she's like crying and all this sort of stuff. And he's like, "You're a pig" and all this sort of stuff. And then next <laughs> minute they're sitting on the couch, and she's looking at him, and she's like, "You are nothing without me. Right? You will be nothing without me. Say it." And he's saying, "And I'm like, what the fuck Jesus. just happened?" Yeah, right. Like, I so understand she, that she they had, have to she had him by a string. I don't thing. get that. Like, how do you do that? Like so she had him by a string, though. Was she quite controlling and he was, like, a bit of a bitch to her? Is that right? Is well, that, I mean, right? I mean, uh, well, I the thing is, so here's the thing. I don't think Napoleon really had an issue with her cheating because he he um, he had mistresses as well. Like, when he's on campaign, sure. he's fucking chicks. Sure. Left and right. But it's the fact that I think that um, when they first got married, she didn't write him back. Right. So when he used to write her letters like professing his love and all that sort of shit, she didn't write back. And I think that's what pissed him off more. I don't think he cared about yeah. like, the infidelity, but it was the fact of, again, making him be a sin, making him be a cuckold, of like right. not showing him love, not okay. treating him right. Because, you know, he, she even asks him, like, did you fuck her? And he goes, of course I did. Right. And they, they meant nothing to me. They oh. served their purpose and I threw them away. So I don't think sure. he had an issue with her cheating. Mm. I think he had an issue with the fact that she wasn't she did reciprocated. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. 
Well, um, look, I mean, you've kind of turned me off wanting to go see it. Uh, I will watch it on Apple uh, TV. I'll be honest with you, wait for streaming. Like, I'll wait for streaming it's... and see. Is this going to be an Alexander situation where everyone's like, watch the director's yes. cut? Yeah. Well, I don't even know if I want a fucking director's cut of this because yeah. I'll be honest with you, the, the whole, that the storyline of him and Josephine really ruins this movie. I, I'm not like I don't mind a bit of him and Josephine because I know nothing about it. But like to me, that's not the big sell of this. Like his career, I'm mean, I'm just like okay, he had a troubled relationship with his wife. Okay, you know it's no, it's, but, but, but yeah. But my argument is, if you wanted to tell that story, then you should have just told that story. Like if you wanted to do the the, the story of Napoleon and and Josephine, mm. then you should have made a movie called Napoleon and Josephine, and just focused on that. If that's what you wanted, sure. right? As I said, this is kind of like we want that, but we also got to show his battles, and so you you're just bouncing between the two. But time is moving at such a fucking breakneck pace, mm. and you know what I mean. Like you just mm. feel like you're being bounced around, and you don't quite know what's going on. Like, right. like luckily for me, I'm a li- I'm not an expert, but I know a little bit about Napoleon that yeah. I, I I could follow the movie, but I, I was just thinking. Man, if, if you know nothing about Napoleon, I think you'd be quite lost. <laughs> I, I know my parents are seeing it next week, and I'm interested to get my dad's review because I know he's quite invested in the whole thing. He knows a lot more about all this stuff. So it wouldn't surprise me yeah. if he comes out similar to you. It's got a 64 on Metacritic, and it's in the green, but that's not, you know, in the 70s. Um, I, wonder how it's, I wonder how it's doing. Let's have a look and see how it's doing at the box office. Uh, well, yeah. not great. I think uh, Wish beat it. It's got it's eighty four million and had a thirty seven, twenty million opening in the states, and that's nothing fantastic, you know, like really. Well, uh, yeah, IMDb has it like a six point seven, and Rotten Tomatoes has it at a fifty nine, and an audience score fifty eight. So on this one, yeah, the critics and the audience are both saying boo. Yeah, they 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 they're sort of saying it's nothing great. All right, well. We'll keep an eye on it. I'll also, definitely. Also, the big problem is, I, I just, I'm sorry. I know Ridley Scott loves Joaquin Phoenix, but, mm. and and again, I got no issues with Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, he's a, a brilliant actor for mm. stuff that he does, but he was not the right choice for this. I, I'm sorry, like he just, mm. he, it was not the right choice for Napoleon. Is he very kind of, um, as I say, that twitchy, nervous style? That's how I see him a lot, you know? Again, he is like that uh, for, like, the first hour of the movie, mm. and then maybe you could say he gets a little more confident, but you never really see him, like, super passionate. Yeah. Um, you know, because, again, Napoleon is famous for, like, going off. Right. And you never really see him do that in this movie. Oh, he doesn't lose his temper and stuff. I thought that was the whole thing about Napoleon. He was, like, an like, angry little Frenchman. Oh god, yeah, he was fucking. He, he was a. He loved women. He loved fucking, and he and he and he was passionate. Like right. I understand that he got like that as he became more successful. Yeah, and, and and saw himself as the next Alexander and all this sort of stuff. Yes, that's sure. probably gonna make you come out of your shell and <laughs> and give you that false sense. But he never got there. Is my point. Like I never right. once felt like this was the guy that was high on his own supply. I tell you, um, what. Uh, it's in the Napoleonic Wars. I'm watching that series Sharp with Sean Bean. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so much fun, dude. I get, like Napoleon might briefly turn up once that I've seen him so far, but it's in the Napoleonic Wars and the campaigns. And obviously, British. I don't know if you know the story, but he's a British. He's a, he's like a sergeant who becomes a captain because he saves Wellington's life, and it's a really good mm-hmm. series. That's fucking great. But um, 
Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, yeah, shop is fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm loving it. I'm like halfway. I bought the DVD, the Blu-ray set, and I'm like halfway through it. And honestly, there's not been a bad, nice. bad one. Like, I'm loving it. Like, yeah, okay. Well, I might wait for the for the director's cut and see if that's any better. But what I might do is I might read that book on Napoleon as well because I know nothing about it. I didn't even realize that he he got. Um, I assumed he got shot and killed or something at some point. Like, no, nope. right. Okay. Well. He just got exiled. Yeah. Why? Why? I don't understand. You have to remember that he basically made himself like, um, like sort of king again. And I don't, you know, you didn't, in those times, you didn't really kill the monarch. You didn't kill the king. So, but at the end, what happens is he just surrender. Well, so basically, yeah. I mean, he, he gets routed, he gets Mm. defeated Mm. and that's it. It's, uh, that was his last... His last stand. His last stand. Okay, interesting. Well, we're, hey, we're learning something. Um, now, I watched... This is from Michelle and Mitch. They alerted me to the Furiosa trailer. Um, I watched it. It looks more like crazy Mad Max world action from George Miller. I'm here for it. Looked looked a lot like... Um, it reminded me of... Um, at one point, I thought they were going to be in Thunderdome. Um, from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, but it looked very... It's the prequel of the character Charlize Theron played, or Fioroso, I guess her name is. Um, this is kind of, I think, like her prequel story, Rich. Like, um, looked cool. I mean, it looked like Mad Max with just Furiosa instead of Mad Max to me. It looked very... George Miller, in my opinion, has never made a bad movie. I So I will, I will watch this. I mean, the guy's got an incredible success rate with his films if you look at his films like from the mad max movies babe happy feet fury road he's not the one most prolific filmmaker but he's got an incredible hit rate you know where are you on this rich um well considering that uh mel gibson's still alive uh i don't really watch mad max movies unless he's in it well the last one was pretty good the fury road one Mm, no i'm sorry um tom hardy's not (laughs) Is not Mad Max. I'm no, sorry. I prefer um, Mel. I have no interest in Charlie Theron's Furiosa. But no, it's not her. It's it's another woman playing her. Another woman's playing Furiosa. Yeah, it's her prequel, so she's younger. Yeah, right, it's, well, it's still, again still okay. It's not Charlie Theron because apparently George Miller was saying he doesn't like the Uncanny Valley thing when they were like, "Can we de-age her?" He was like, he he said he, he just doesn't. He doesn't like that. I, I tell you what, I saw the trailer. Hey, it looked pretty cool. Best of luck to him. Hope it does well. I don't really give a shit. Fair <laughs> enough, man. Um, now, a special RIP. Marty Croft. And people might say, who's Marty Croft? Well, I'm going to give you some fucking what I hit. Said. You don't know? Okay. Um, I know of it, but um, I've never, ever seen okay. uh, anything. Check out HR Puff and Stuff and check out my favorite show as a kid, Land of the Lost. Land of the Lost Rich is basically this. This is the. F- fucking show that lit the fire in me for all the crazy shit I'm into. Basically, it's an it's it's got like a little song to it. Um it's a it's he's like a park ranger and his two kids and they're on a they're on a um in a you know like a inflatable raft thing going in the rapids and then they go into like a cavern and it, it leads and they go down this huge waterfall and it leads them into the land of the lost rich where it's like dinosaurs. Um, there's some aliens in there. There's all sorts of crazy shit in the land of the lost. It was as a kid. This I was like, oh my fuck! And I'm talking like a little kid. I'm five or six, and I'm going. This is this was intense. 
Um, this is a great show. This came from them. They had a lot of shows. They also Banana Split show was them as well. But HR Puff and stuff was their, probably one of their biggest hits. Um, they had a whole battery of shows. And, um, yeah, he just passed away. I want to say R.I.P. to Money Croft. You were inspirational. Um, Rich, I, um, in tribute to the great man, I downloaded the entire Land of the Lost yesterday. I was like, fuck this shit. I'm, 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 I'm getting this. It, it had parallel dimensions, Rich. It had aliens. It had dinosaurs. It had storylines like you wouldn't believe, man. This show was a million. Have fun, buddy. Oh, this show was so far ahead of its time, man. They actually rebooted it um, in, in the 90s. And then Will Ferrell did a movie, Land of the Lost, in the uh, about 2009. It was more of a comedy. Um, do you remember it, Will Ferrell? It was the same story, but it was done more comedically. Nope. Man, you just missed out. I saw it in cinemas. I was disappointed because it wasn't serious enough. Uh, R.I.P. Shane McGowan as well. Hard-drinking frontman of the Irish punk band The Pogues. Dies at 65. I mean, he's looked like he's going to die for the last 25 years, Rich. Um, which, he, which, to be fair, a lot of rockers do. Oh, but this guy was terrible. He was a. Uh, he had this these rotted teeth, and um, he just ah uh, like from back in the 90s, and so all his teeth were rotted and just terrible and missing and stuff. And I think in 2015, uh, a dentist um, gave him implants, the whole mouth implants and the dentist was quoted saying it was the Mount Everest of dentistry <laughs> this guy my, my grandfather mm. took all of his teeth out when he was a young guy really yeah, he used to get like and when I say young guy I'm talking about when he was like 19 why he used to just have really bad like tooth pain yeah and like anytime he went to the, the the dentist or whatever it just constantly his teeth always hurt and he just basically said take them all out anyway basically had dentures from like the age of 19. okay that's interesting um wow so he had yeah okay wow so like, people don't realize old people did they didn't care man <laughs> you know what i mean like mm. Uh, back in those days, people would be like, "Oh yeah, my, all my teeth are just fucking take them out." Yeah, I, I <laughs> like think... people wouldn't react like that today. Oh yeah, no, even in the sixties and seventies, heaps of like um, stars and stuff wore dentures. I think you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. But it's... again, I also understand that dentistry isn't exactly, you know, it, it's also evolved and gotten better over the years. I think back in those days, it was quite. Um, I won't say barbaric, but I mean, it wasn't. Uh, oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it wasn't as easy as it is now. Well, I went. Um, I mean, I'm I'm someone who's. I hate the dentist, but um, basically, I um, you know, I I, I try my hardest to, um, get my getting get my teeth in because I've had fillings and stuff over the years. I went I went and got a filling out and replaced the other day, and I was amazed. Now I'm doing um every six months. I'm back on the six month routine. Yeah, we're, we're, that's one of the blessings of living in the modern world. Like, we can talk about how shit the modern world is and stuff. But, um, yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, it's uh, basically, you know, one of the great things about living in the modern world is the... Is, yeah, look, is the I, I never berate the, the modern world for the technology. I just berate it for the culture. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm wondering, Sinatra, I, I reckon Sinatra may have wore dentures because his teeth were perfect. Yeah, you know, oh, you'd be surprised how many of uh, them did back in those days. Yeah, how many people yeah. just got their teeth taken out? Yeah. So you, the, what? They were completely out. How come you wouldn't have a lisp and stuff? What do you mean? I I thought when you got your teeth taken out, um, you'd have a lisp. 
But he wore falsies. Why would you have a lisp? Okay, because if you wear them, you don't have the lisp. Okay, fair enough. Okay. I mean, you, you've learned to talk. Sure, yeah. You've, you've taken out the real teeth. You've just put falsies, like falsies in. I mean, your yeah. tongue's still doing the same thing. Yeah. Most singers these days have dental veneers, apparently. That's what they're saying. Yeah, really expensive, though. That's also why I think back in those days, if you had prob- teeth problems, it was literally just cheaper to take them out. Frank Sinatra like, opted for dental crowns instead of dentures. There you go. Yeah. Okay. But today, no, if, if you if, if you miss even one tooth and you want to get one fake tooth, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, it's like, expensive. You've got to take out a massive loan for that. Yeah, yeah, they're expensive, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah man, it's intense. All right, um, now, Daleks in Colour. It was the first Doctor Who special. We've got a bit of a Doctor Who episode this, this, this time. Um, I will say that this year was so funny. I, I, I've been, I was, I was fucking badgering her to watch this Daleks in Color, man. I'm like, I'm like, it's in color. It's the first Daleks episode. I'm trying every trick under the under the sun to get her to watch this. I, I didn't mention it was 1963 because that wouldn't have flown. And and eventually she was like, okay, fine. She goes, I might be, I might be on my phone doing work. I'm like, that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> And um, <laughs> put it on. I mean, I had a great time. It's it's garish, the colour. They obviously put in the music. Um, but I was surprised by how choppy the editing was. I thought the editing was really choppy. Um, mm. Like, really choppy. Unnecessarily choppy, I would say. Like, I know there was padding in the old shows. I'm not... I'm not I'm not debating that. I agree. There's lots of episodes where Daleks are just going up and down corridors, you know, and you can take all that out. But the editing was unnecessarily choppy. And Michelle noticed it. She goes, I just feel they've taken huge chunks out of this. Like, they have, and I don't think it's edited that well. I enjoyed it. Um, the overacting is just hilarious. Like, when they're all fainting from the radiation poisoning and stuff, and everyone's, like, rolling around on the ground. Um... I had fun, but I gotta say, I like she's going. Michelle's going. This 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 doctor's awful. I go. Yeah, I never understand people who say William Hartnell's their favorite doctor. I, he's just grumpy. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, can I just yeah. say? Can I just say something? I like that because uh, it actually adds to the canon. Sure. So, if you forget about the the bullshit retcon. Oh, of fuck William that. Hartnell not being the first Doctor. About right? the black chick or whatever she was. Well, that, that, that they've been around for much longer and they've had many more lives. If you just go, William Hartnell's the first Doctor. Yeah. There's actual growth. Mm. So he goes from being quite selfish. Yes. Right? And, and grumpy and seeing people as like a burden, right? Mm. To not quite getting fully out of that because he still can be a bit selfish, but... You actually, if you look at it from that, yes, if you take it by itself, probably you can be like, Jesus, such a, a an, you know, an arsehole and whatever. But when you compare it to the other doctors, you kind of go, wow, I don't know if they intended that or not, but it kind of shows character growth. Oh, yeah. That yeah. he becomes this doctor who cares, he's passionate, he wants to save the world. Hmm. Whereas the first doctor is just more about, I just want to learn, I want to discover, I don't care if I put people in danger. Mm. Now, he still has a little bit of that, obviously, because he's the doctor and he's still curious. Mm. And his, hung, you know, his hunger for knowledge is still quite insatiable, but he's not quite as selfish as the first doctor. So from that, from like canonically, mm. I do actually like that uh, he is such a grumpy bum. Oh, I, I love it in the history. Don't get me wrong. And I also love that he's so old because it makes you realize that he, he could, he's probably been around for... 300 years in that 
incarnation, that regenerate, you know, that whatever yeah. you call it. If, if not more, yeah. Yeah. And then it's after that all the changes over the last, say, 40 years, like he's gone through so many lives. Um, I mean, I had fun with it. I, it's not perfect. Um, I, I thought the – what did you think of the editing? Because I really genuinely believe it was sloppy. Look, the editing is kind of normal for those shows back in those days. Um, but they took uh, out seven, they, they they took out forty five minutes for this for this color cut. Do you realize that? No, I do, and I mean that's going to be very hard to cut um, uh, and make it look a bit seamless. But I mean, if you go back and look at like um, like old Star Trek and all that, there's a lot of jumps um, yeah. from one camera to another camera, um, and, and that's usually what happens when you when you film things on a set sure. <clears throat> because you've got multiple cameras. Yeah, you know. Um, you can, uh, and, and so you have characters stand, and so you cut. So it was probably a little bit more, but at the same time, I am a little bit used to the older shows sure. cutting between people always talking and all that sort of shit and all that, so there's so many cuts anyway. What I didn't enjoy, which really hurt this early Doctor, was the color. Um, yeah. It actually made the, um, the, the optical illusions easier to spot. So sure. when... Barbara is walking down the quote-unquote passageways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's supposed to go on forever. The color actually, you can go, oh, shit, I can see it's a painting. Oh, yeah, it looks, it was very but 60s. If it was black and white, you would not have been able to really spot it uh, as well. I've got you a question. I mean? I've got a question. In the, I, I've seen photos of them, at the, like, this is going to show my stupidity, but... I've seen photos of them in the, on the set, like the first and second Doctors, and they're wearing colourful outfits and stuff. And I always thought, what was the point of that? Now, do you think that they would have recolorized things to not necessarily be the colours they were wearing, or were they wearing those colours? You know, They would have probably tried to get it as close to approximation, but it's really hard to add colour to black and white. Mm. Um, because, um, one, the lighting is already there. Um, so sort of like your saturation, all that is, is going to be very hard to, mm -hmm. to add color to, um, uh, to something that was filmed and printed in black and white. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So before you, now, now it's a bit easier now. Like if you look at like Sin City and all that, <clears throat> where they got red and they got color and all that sort of shit. It's easy to do that now because of computers. Yeah. Because you can film it in, in color and then go in and, like, remove the color and and keep that color. But in those days, once you filmed it and you printed it onto black and white, you can't really undo that. Um, yeah, so they're just sort of adding in color like you would with a crayon or yeah. something. Like, yeah? Well, basically, they, they, they are feeding it into a computer. But, again, the computer can only do so much with... Oh. Um, the quality, because let's be honest, the quality of the print is also still bad. Oh, because yeah. Because it's so old and, and you know what I mean, it has deteriorated one a little thing bit. I and, did and like, stuff, so. One thing I did like about it was they really went overboard with the garish colour schemes, which I liked because it made it feel kind of art deco. It was kind of like a weird retro future kind of thing. I, I, I sort of dug what they were trying to do. Mm. It was a little... But yeah. the, you know, the problem is that the color just came across as a bit sort of pale, a bit yeah. diluted. So they tried to be colorful, but it kind of made it look washed out at the same time. So, yeah. and also, um, so apparently, they're doing the at the end of it. There's a whole ad. They're doing a whole lot of them, 
and I think there's a lot better stories too. Like as iconic as the Daleks are, this first episode isn't the best Dalek episode ever. It's just the first appearance. Um, but like, I mean, God, you watch the second Doctor story, Tomb of the Cybermen. That holds up. You know what I mean? Like they've yeah. they've, they've got stories in those first two Doctors that really do hold up. Um, you know, obviously the special effects are always going to be average, very average, but that's okay. But, I mean, I had fun with it. You know, it was a fun night. It was it was kind of, you know, for the real Doctor Who fans out there, this was one for the fans. You know, I where are you on them doing future stories like this, Rich? Um, What do you, what, what do you mean, recolorizing more of it? They're doing heaps more of them, yeah. They're, apparently Russell yeah. T. Davies wants to do most, if not all of them. I mean, I don't know if that's... I don't good. know. I, I, honestly, I'd honestly, prefer if they just try and um, improve the quality of the black and white. Mm. Like, I, I don't mind them wanting to re-release it and just try and increase, like, sort of the the the, the resolution, the, you know, the if they can maybe get it to, like, FHD or, mm. you know, or, or something like that, just improve the quality of it. I just don't think I need it to be in color. I'd love to... I mean, I'm, I'm opposite to you. I would love the colorized stuff. But what about this? What about they hire actors and punch up the storylines and just reshoot them? Well, that's another option. I mean, if... Look, if you turn around and say, listen, the stuff is just so old, mm. right? The, the quality of it is just so poor... We're just going to use the guy that we got to play the um, yeah the first Doctor. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he was in like the Richard Hudnall or Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. So if you could just get him and just kind of redo it, yeah. and not the whole thing, <laughs> maybe just redo some of the the best episodes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, select a few. Yeah, yeah. Just select some like iconic like. Um, and there's even ones uh, like Dalek Master Plan where they don't have all the episodes, so you could shoot them all again, and people haven't sure. even seen the uh, fucking original. Ones that are so bad or have been lost, yeah, um, you can redo those ones as well. I mean, this is what I say. I'm, with, I'm not opposed to that. This is what I say with some of the old comics. Like, my God, you could redo this now, punch it up a little bit, you know, like give it a bit more, but it could make a really cool story because the storylines of some of these are fucking great. Um, and, like, why not? Like, I, I, I think the world would survive. If if the Who fans were okay with colourising and chopping out 45 minutes of the Daleks episode, what's to stop them from, as I say, redoing the episodes and, you know, maybe making them more slightly adult and stuff? I think it'd be cool. I'd be, I'd be down for it. You just But you need to pick and stick with actors. i tell you one of my favourite storylines is um, the War Games, uh, the, the last second Doctor story. I love that story. I'd love to see that colourised. Now... Turning from that, so what would you give it out of? I'd give it a seven. Yeah, I'd give it a seven. Again, it's a, it's a fun story. I just, I just, I just, <laughs> I just watched it the whole time thinking it just looks so garish. It was very garish. Uh, I agree, and I think intentionally garish. Now, because I have watched some of the originals on uh, BritBox before they took it off of that. Yeah, um, and I didn't have a problem watching it in black and white. Yeah, I watched the Romans and enjoyed it. Uh that was the other thing. Back in um, William Hartnell's day, they did um, a lot of historical um, stories that didn't have any science fiction component other than the Doctor appearing. You know, there was mm. they were like flat out historical epics, which I think was a cool idea, personally. You know, um, well again, it's smart because that's easier to do than all the sci-fi. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, it works. They didn't exactly have a massive budget. 
when they first started doing the Doctor, and so mm. they had to be a bit more sparing for these sort of like Dalek and and all those sort of ones because you know uh, they didn't have the money to do it every week. Yeah, and they took advantage of the time. You know what I mean? Like he's a time traveler, so not everything has yeah. to be aliens. I think that's actually lacking in a lot of the mm-hmm. modern Doctor Who. Totally agree. Is I feel like they don't go um, they don't go back in time enough. I totally I agree. I, Rich, I'm, I, I love a space story, but I agree with you so strongly on that that I sometimes think Doctor Who could do with some historical epics, with maybe a tiny bit of sci-fi, but there's nothing wrong with a Roman storyline, for example. You know, um, I, I think it would be a breath of fresh air. Uh, and I'll tell you one of my favourite storylines ever. Yeah, uh, David Tennant had one, remember we went to Pompeii? Yeah, he did, he did. He did have a good one, and in fact, that's where the, um, that's where the uh, Capaldi Capaldi came from. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember it well. It was a good episode. Uh, now, then we had the first special. Uh, we watched it last night. I thought it was a slight fun story, um, marred, yes, by some cringeworthy commentary at the end. But, but I can look past it. But when they said he was a male presenting Time Lord, it's just a bit. You know, do you have to hit us over the head? just so hard as a story it was slight it was fun i enjoyed it you know what i mean it was an enjoyable throwaway special i hope the next two are a bit got a bit more depth to them um but i enjoyed it i thought tenet was good i I guess i mean jesus christ does it look like aging rock stars putting on one more fucking performance he looked okay, um, though. I'm, I'm sorry, man. David Tennant looks so old and haggard, and his hair looks so bad <laughs> because it just it can't go up anymore. <laughs> his hair, it's like, his hair did look. I agree. It's struggling to stay up. Um, yeah. And by the way, I, you know, you say you want to be sort of progressive and you and you want to um, do things. Now, obviously, they've given um, Donna a, a trans daughter. Um, sure. But something that pissed me off a little bit was how. Donna's just so awesome that it doesn't cause her any mm. uh, problems. So, like, they put that on the mother, uh, her mother, which is like, oh, I said that she was um, uh, beautiful or gorgeous. Is that inappropriate? I wouldn't have done that when they were a boy. And, you know, and Donna's are like, is she beautiful? They're so giving her wonderful. I'm like, you can be honest, like, in that moment. I'm sure you tell other people that you're lucky and they are, they are. But you can sort of a little bit honest. Like, listen, it get, takes getting used to or... Sure. It's just, I understand, you know, it's fine, Mom, I understand. It took me time. Well, she, she did say like that. Make... She, she did say, I, 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 I make those mistakes too or something. She did say that. Yeah, but she was, but my point is she was, but she was more like telling her mother how wonderful it is. I know, I know. And I'm not saying it's wonderful, I'm, but I'm just saying she could have just said, like, it's fine, Mom. Like, it, you know, but she was almost like giving her mum a bit I, of a stink I didn't eye. Mind. I, I know, I know, I, I agree. This, that, that was yeah. minor. I was like, okay, whatever. And by the way. So, uh, Alicia and I were watching it, right? Yeah. And I did not know. When I sat down to watch this, I did not know the daughter was trans, okay? and I, I, I wouldn't have it. known if I hadn't read it. Uh, no, here's the thing. It's so funny. I was sitting down, and we sitting down, I was like, ooh, geez. I was like, what the hell's wrong with the, with that chick? Like, mm. um, who's, who's that chick? She looks like a dude. And, uh, and Alicia <laughs> was like, does she? I mean, maybe a little bit. I was like, yeah, I don't know. Looks a bit manly to me. And then later on, the boys go back and they go like, Jason, hey, Jason, yeah, hey, Jay, yeah. you want to give it? I was like, I'm set. I was right. <laughs> you picked it. I mean, you can pick like, it. You, you, Look, I don't know. Like, I guess in today's world, we're so 
ready for that story that I probably would have picked it if I hadn't known. But if I, in a bit more of an innocent time where I wasn't like hearing trans this, trans that every five seconds. Yeah, but again, you know. I, what I find that pisses me off is um, I, I feel like the doctor should not be lectured by a 16 year old trans about <laughs> gender identity because the doctor's yeah. been around yeah. hundreds of hundreds of years have met many different species exactly. yeah. that are more understanding of, of gender and, and all that sort oh, of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they've got to smash you over the head with the message. The, the, you know what? I, I, I didn't care. It was fine. The story was fine. Oh, I, 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 the story was a bit of a letdown for me if we go back to the story mm. because I, I literally picked it from the start. Me too. It was like, so obvious. I, 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 I was like, oh, the bad guys are the good guys and the MIP is the bad guy. I would have been more surprised if that wasn't the case. You know, if 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 the meep hadn't been evil, I would have been more surprised because I picked it str- almost straight away. It was like the signalling of it, the way they were doing the bug guys are so cliched bad guy and the meep was so overly cute. Michelle picked it, I picked it. Like, I would have been more surprised if it turns out we mm. were wrong. Now, I will... I, I, it was a slight story. That's fine. I wish they'd give these stories a bit more punch. We've only got ten for three episodes, but mm. you know, no, this is one of them. Jesus, what you a know waste. where I, my eyes may well have rolled out of my fucking skull, was at the end when yep. Donna and the daughter, and they're just like, you wouldn't understand this as a male presenting time lord. I audibly groaned, so did Michelle, and then they go, you've just got to let it go. I was just like, really, like this is like I was just like, what a weak ending, you know. I was that that that's one of my complaints with Doctor Who over the last, I'd say five or six years. I I just feel their endings. I've mentioned it before on the show, are cheesy and cheap, and I don't mean cheap visually. I mean just cheap storytelling. I mean that was pathetic. Like they built up this whole thing about how it was going to be so bad for her. And it was just like that was actually worse than the Jodie Whittaker saying I've had a bit of an upgrade. I didn't mind that, um, but I'm saying this is like far worse because this, this is like was, this was, is like we are so much better than you. Yeah, I, I, I just, you, I was just you like, know what I mean. Why are they like, so much better? I didn't even understand why they're so much better. Like I was just like I, I was like okay, whatever. I do like the woman who plays Donna, and I like the daughter as well. And, uh, can, I, can, I, can I be honest with you? Um, this is really tough for me to watch because it reminded me how much I hate Donna. Oh, you don't like her? See, I like her. I can't stand Donna well, as you're a stuck character. With, you're stuck with her for the next two episodes, Rich. And, well, I'm, I'm telling you now, depending on the next one, I will, <laughs> might be ducking out. That's okay. We've got the next one here. I liked Donna when she got into the TARDIS, which I loved, by the way, the new TARDIS. And then she spilled coffee on the controls. Did I must give that, it a laugh. I thought it was sterile and empty. Oh, I, I like thought it had no charm whatsoever. Did that was the the TARDIS of the seventies and eighties was like a cheaper version of that. It was just the white yeah, control room. I kind of missed the yeah, but this is the thing. Not everything from the past is good. But like, you, you like the more steampunky style. Well, I just like charm. Yeah. I, I I and and by the way, if the Doctor's back, then his TARDIS should be back. Well, I guess yeah. That's just, that's just my opinion. If he's back, then then his TARDIS should be back. You could tweak it a little bit, but. I just well, feel like that thing is just so empty and bland and clean that well, it doesn't like, even have the charm of the old ones that you're, you're referring to. I know, to. but like, I think they're going for a throwback to the to the 70s, 80s white design and obviously upgrading it to a 
you know, I agree with you. It is, I don't know, I liked it. It was a change of pace from, they've really done the steampunk thing pretty heavily over the last few years. So I, I enjoyed it. I mean, look, I'll, I'll say this. I'm sorry. I don't think, um, <clears throat> I don't think uh, Davies is the uh, the savior that everyone thinks he is. Well, I, look, if, overall. If the point of this first episode, all those were like, oh, finally, Davies is back. He's going to save Doctor Who. I don't think so. Well, it was better than it has been. You know, I see. I don't even. I disagree because okay. Here's my here's my theory, uh, not my theory, right? Mm. My experiment. Take out Donna and um, and Tennant. Mm-hmm. Take them out because that's massive nostalgia hit, mm. right? Seeing him going oh, sure. LZ, all that sort of shit. Mm. That's already you're like yeah, he's back, baby. Take them out if you got this story mm. with that shit. And this was the new Doctor. You would say it was terrible. I would say it's very slight. It's a par. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I want. when I say it's a slight story. I mean, that's what it is. It's not a classic or anything. But my point is, I don't like to say like, yeah, but it's Tennant, and it's, it's like no, but this is still done by Davies, and this is the level of story yeah. that he's given you with the Tennant return. I just, I dread when Tennant's not there. Mm. And these are still the level of stories you're going to get. I hear Again, you. We'll I see hear. the second one. I hope they go more serious. I really, I just feel one thing that they're missing in Doctor Who is give it a little bit more gravitas in the story. And by the way, I just had a thought that I don't even know if they thought about this, mm. right, when they did the show, just because um, I don't think woke people actually think about things. <laughs> no, no. So you're telling me, right, mm. that... Um, Donna has that energy shit in her, right? Yes. And if she remembers, it's going to kill her. Yeah. But she's passed it on to her son, mm. who Daughter. then yeah. is confused and is transitioning, changing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. their gender, making toys based on them. And I'm almost like, oh, so wait, are they trans? Or did all that uh, Time Lord shit make them that way? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Ah, but again, I guarantee you they didn't think about that when they decided, <laughs> let's do this. Yeah, dude, I, I think they're just going the issue of the day, you know, like, honestly. Like, oh, by the way... Just I... think about it. If the Doctor now can go from being a man to a woman and back and all that, mm-hmm. and Donna has the Time Lord stuff in her, and she gives birth to a son, and that son like, changes to a girl, mm-hmm. that's, that's fucking deep um, ramifications for... Like, why the, the, the child is trans. Yeah, I, I don't even think they're going to that level of detail. No, I probably didn't even think about that. Didn't even give it a second thought, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> you did, I love it. Oh, fuck it, man. I mean, look, I hear you. I, I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. Michelle said it was an 8. She's more generous. Oh, and I can't help but notice that he complained about Davros being in a wheelchair, yeah, and so was, he had to have a good yeah. person in a wheelchair in this episode. I was going to mention that. Um, well, as soon as I saw her turn up, I was just like, oh, God, here we go. She's going to be the hero. Now, I, I've also... I want to dial in on some comments that that character made. Okay, because they're interesting. She was fine. I preferred the old unit uh, woman who had the Tom Baker scarf, but I believe she died. Now, she, yeah, said she, on, she said on the 26th scientific advisor, and I was like, okay. And he said I was the first, which he was. And then she wouldn't, didn't want to let him go and do something. And I thought, hold on a second. Slay your role, love. He's the Time Lord with the time machine. He's so much a better scientific advisor than any of the other ones. Like, the stuff he's done and the knowledge he has, 
you know, why would you not want to bring him in all the way? And then there was an interesting, and I'm not criticising this part, I just thought it was interesting, part where she was talking to him and she realised that he knew, like, something had happened. She goes, oh, how do you know that? That's from your future. We're not allowed to discuss that. And I was like, that's interesting to me that she's, they're briefed on what doctor they're dealing with and what information they can give him. I actually, see, I think that's interesting and I think you could go into that more. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's mm-hmm. inter- that's an interesting story point. See, that's the kind of thing I would occasionally do. Not every episode, but I, I've, I've thought of that before. Um, stuff like that. Like, if, like, okay, for example, just imagine you do a storyline with, with the Brigadier as a young guy, as he was back in the 70s, yeah? But instead you've got um, David Tennant or whoever, and Matt Smith or this new guy, and they're dealing with the Brigadier then. And it's kind of like, it's not his doctor, but it's a doctor he's dealing with. And that I just thought, what a waste to just give that one line because there's a whole story that could be done there. And maybe they will do that, you know? Just the knowledge that she, that she was like, well, there's future doctors that we've dealt with since you, but I can't talk to you about that stuff. And then she was like, oh, okay, mm. you're, you're actually... You're, you're past those doctors. I see you've, you've reverted back. That's interesting. I, I thought that was an interesting point. Um, so there was some interesting stuff there. Uh, it was a slight story. A lot of these specials, though, over the years have been reasonably sort of slight, little, almost whimsical stories. Um, I did like the meep when he went evil, though. I thought he looked cool. Mm. Um, but can I have a question, right? Mm. How the hell did Donna know that he was back? What do you mean? Who? So when he... When he wiped on his mind, mm. he was still that doctor. Yeah. So she has no idea that he has changed multiple times and now he's back as this doctor. But when she no. sees him, she goes, what do you do with his face again? And it's like, but hang on a second. Yeah. You weren't, you don't know that he's changed. That's a good point. For all you know, he's been this doctor the whole time. Yeah, I, that's a good point, which I also thought of when I was watching it. Yeah, I don't, that, I don't have the answer to that question. I, in fact, I didn't even understand, really. Like, I thought that ending not, was like, so weird. I don't understand how they have all this information. I don't know how all these these characters on Earth have all this Doctor information. Mm. Yeah. When most of the shit doesn't even happen on Earth. Well, it would make more sense if they were, like, the old days, when the Brigadier famously saw Tom Baker and... Or, or other doctors. And, sorry, he saw the, the third doctor and he dealt with the second doctor and he was so surprised, you know? Um, it would make more sense to be surprised rather than, um, oh, how, how come you've changed? Just like, Richard, if you walked in to, to this room right now and you had a completely different face, I would just be like, oh, why aren't you the old Richard? There would be a moment of disorientation. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You, you know what I mean? Like, you would get there because you know the person, but it would take... It wouldn't just be like, oh, why? You know, you know. There was... I agree with you. They're, they're, they're too sort of nonchalant, almost. Um, I did like when he was saying... Because the Doctor is essentially, at heart, a pacifist. When, when um, they were saying... She said, we're on the same side. He went, mm. And it's like, yeah, you've gone so militaristic. Unit's gone so fucking sci-fi militaristic. And I, I like that as well. I was, again, I think that's interesting. Unfortunately, these little crumbs, which I'm fucking having to, like, get down on the floor for, Rich, like a fucking little mouse, 
um, are just that crumbs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like they're crumbs. They're not. They're not the meat of the story. I, I'm giving it a seven. I'd almost give it a seven point five. But I actually, if I was writing a report, there's room to improve. That's what I would say. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. What are you giving it, Richard? Well, that's a, that, like, I mean, that's also the problem where you say, oh, my, yeah, you know, Davies is back, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, but he doesn't have those writers anymore. So it doesn't matter that Davies is back well, as the showrunner. He's brought in some other people I, I was reading from. Um, there's a guy from another big show. I'll, I'll bring it up. He's actually brought in um, some some other people who are fairly yeah, highly regarded. The point is the, the people that – the writers that were doing the Doctor Who when we were all loving it and having fun, mm. those people are not working on the Doctor anymore. Yeah. Although I well, noticed – few of them are, is my point. Maybe there are still some, but my point is yeah. you've got different writers now, so you can't – you can't expect that it's going to be... But he wrote this, this episode based on, a, I believe, a comic book by Pat Mills and Dave Gibbons, which I didn't know. Yeah, I think it was like a one-issue comic or like a fucking one-page comic. <laughs> well, that was what I was... Because uh, I didn't know that. Oh, so, okay. So the people he's brought in are from um, Bad Wolf who worked on his Dark Materials, that, that quite highly regarded television show based on the novels. So he's brought in people from that. Because uh, the, they did the, um, I yeah. So they're Julie Gardner and Jane Tranter. Um, it's a production company, and they've been brought in to Doctor Who by him um, because now Disney are involved. You know, there's Disney. Oh, I know. There's Disney money in this now, so it never goes awry, does it? Yeah. Well, I don't know, but look, I didn't hate it by any means. I mean, it was enjoyable. I had fun. There's going to be three specials and a Christmas special. So I would say, Rich, watch the next special. If you hate it, then just watch the Christmas one and miss the third one. I think the Christmas one's the first. I would say the end of the third one is when the new Doctor will regenerate into, you know, into the new Doctor. I don't know if I care about that. (laughs) No, I know, but we'll we'll do the Christmas one. But you can skip the third one if you hate the second one. If you like the second one, we can watch the third. Anyway, there's that. Now, um, hang on. When does... um the toy maker come in that's a good question uh, that might be next episode actually because that's the only one that i'm really interested in because i want to see neil patrick harris well i think performance. i i would say that it would be the boss that the me preferred to uh, i'm really looking forward to the celestial toy maker storyline um yeah that's a good question i i don't know if they've actually told us that because i thought he might have been in all of them but um yeah, I, I, I honestly, I don't know, Rich. They've kind of kept it under wraps. But it's coming out, uh, so this week, so or, or, or like, I think it's on like a Thursday night or something. I'm, I'm not sure what night it was. Oh, no, it might even be, it might even be sooner than that, Rich. When is the next episode coming out? Because we watched it late, that's right. Michelle and I watched it late just in time for the show. But it might be like on, um, here we go. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my internet research while I'm talking. Okay, so... Um, list of episodes, no, fuck me, I just want the fucking specials, the Star Beast, okay, uh, 17th, no, 2nd of December, so tomorrow. tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow is the next one, Wild Blue Yonder, and then, um, the third one is, um, 9th of December, oh, now we've got this supplemental episode, that um, came out on the 17th of November. This is the thing about um, Davros, this Destination Scaro thing. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, God knows when this is. Like, But um, 
yeah, this this I don't think even is even anywhere. So I don't I don't know how they got their hands on this. In a military place on the planet Scaro, Davros meets with his assistant, Mister Castle Villain, to present his new creation, a prototype Dalek, though they have yet to name it. When Davros <laughs> exits the scene, the TARDIS comes crashing into the base and breaks off the Dalek's claw. The Fourteenth Doctor, who is still puzzled by the return of his old face, notices the damage he has caused and realizes the claw belongs to a Dalek. Then, when calling the machine a Dalek and being thankful it didn't exterminate him. The Doctor inadvertently gives Castor Villain, um, what a terrible name, Castor Villain, the idea for both a name and a catchphrase. The Doctor soon realises he's actually witnessing the genesis of the Daleks. A lot wow, worse. that's awful. I, I've got to say, a lot worse than the actual classic episode genesis of the Daleks. He hastily swaps the broken claw for a sink plunger that he finds in the TARDIS. And that tells, is, that's just oh, juvenile writing, by the way. I think this may have been a joke. Um, and tells Castavillan to pretend he was never there before leaving. After returning, Davros approves of the plunger. So, firstly, I think this may have been a, a comedy skit, but unfortunately, it has the appearance of Davros walking around. And Russell T. Davis has said mm. that that is the Davros going forward. I've watched yes. the interview where he says, "Yeah, like that is the Davros now," because. It's it's unacceptable that it also only went they for f- wheelchair people in such a negative light. Yes, we covered that last episode. It only went for four minutes, so I believe it was a skit. But yes, I agree. The annoying part is that part that you just said. Um, I hope that that's a um, red herring. I pray. <laughs> you ask him for a lot, man. I tell you what, like yeah. Anyway, we'll get off that because we got on that last episode. We know. now just to wrap up Doctor Who. Rich, in terms of Doctor Who, who is your favourite classic Doctor and are they your favourite Doctor overall, including the new Doctor Who's? Oh. So my favourite overall is still uh, Eccles. Eccle- um, Eccleston? Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So who's I don't your, know. I just... I, who, I liked it. Um, who's your favourite classic one, though, from the... you know, the, Yeah. Well, I was saying, you asked me which one is the classic and if, if it's overall. I'm just telling you who the overall okay, one overall, is. Okay. Overall, Eccleston, yeah. Um... Man, that's interesting that you say Eccleston because I've never heard many people say that. That's that's uh, I don't know. Good. I just I like that. Um, when he came on, he was the first one to, I guess, maybe like I feel like, um, Tennant and Smith kind of he set the tone, mm. and their doctors have just been like their version of that doctor, sure. Do you know what I mean? Because he he's he was like, uh, um playful um he was uh, but then he could switch to that anger yeah yeah had the leather jacket which i liked yeah and both uh, Tennant and smith have copied that Mm. and even capaldi but although capaldi didn't have the playful Mm. um you know what i mean like just he would the way he got like so excited about taking rose and stuff but then when like they meet a dalek and he fucking just loses his shit and i was like i just like this doctor and Mm. And while I like Tennant and Smith, I just feel like they they just doing their version of what he set up. He so started, in, yeah. in a way, we have him to thank for everyone loving them. <laughs> is the way I look at it. Um, but classic one, I don't know, man. It's I've got to toss a coin between uh, uh, Pertry and um, and uh, Tom Baker. Mm. Yeah, well, they're, they're my two um, favorites. They're great. I mean, like, I, because Pertwee's one was had a little bit more action, mm. and Baker's one was a little bit more uh, cerebral. Yeah, had a quite I a bit can't of decide which one I like more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, 
That's, I probably yeah. would give it to Baker in just terms of probably the storylines, though. Yeah. Uh, I think Baker's doctor, not that I necessarily like his doctor more, but I think I like his, the world building in his, um, in his doctor more. Like, I feel like, um, uh, he's probably have the best stories of, of most of the doc- uh, classic doctors. Yeah. I, I mean, I, uh, it's no surprise to anyone who listens to Signal Tom Baker's my favourite of the classic and my favourite overall. I think he was just fantastic. And the stories were great. Oh, but John Pertwee is very close behind in terms of he was an incredibly good doctor and the stories were good mm. too. So, um, and they would and both... You know what, it's not also the other doctor's fault because I, I know that their budgets and all that were also slashed as well. Yeah. Um, sort of like... Um, not after Tom Baker, who is the... Peter well, Davison. Peter kind Davison. of after Tom Baker, but... Um, then Colin Baker, and then McCoy. Oh, was Colin Baker right after, was he? So it went no. Tom Baker, then Peter Davison, the, the blonde head guy. Davison. So, like, from Peter Davison onward, I felt like the budget got lower and lower. Yeah. And then I just feel like they, they didn't have the best stories. Like, I felt like they... Maybe the writing team... All the stories they were telling just weren't up to the same same level as what came before, unfortunately. Although it did kind of rectify itself a little bit, I thought with um, <clears throat> uh, Sylvester. Yeah. Um, I thought maybe that, that's where they started. Maybe they got some better writers, and and he had some interesting ones. So he definitely know. had some good stories. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, now just wrapping this up. Your top three stories. Rich, of classic, do you have a top three? I can give you mine, first off, if you want. No, because I don't even remember names of... <laughs> okay, well, my number one of all time is Genesis of the Daleks. Genesis of the Daleks, where Tom Baker yes, goes um, back yeah. to the original of the Daleks, and it's such a good episode. First appearance of Davros. It's about a billion times better than that fucking bit I just read out. Yeah. Um, second one is Seeds of Doom, which is the final Sarah Jane Smith storyline. Excellent story, six-parter. Mm-hmm. I miss the stories being like six parts. You know, okay. I, I I would prefer that to just like a fifty-eight minute special. I would give me a give me a give me a meaty six parter. But that's the other Baker. That's the genesis of the Daleks, which Tom um, Tom Baker, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, Tom wasn't Baker. that Colin Baker? No, uh, Colin Baker had genesis one. Of the Daleks. Genesis of the Daleks, where they go back to no, it's one of it's in the first season of Tom Baker's thing. He goes back. Um, the Time Lord's basically sending back to the. I remember the other Baker also meeting Davros, and I've he did, yeah, it. no, he did in. Yeah, Re- okay. in I'm just confusing it. There's Revelation of the Daleks is the storyline that uh, Colin oh, Baker. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a pretty crazy story, actually. Revelation of the Daleks, I enjoy it too. Uh, so I never remember names. I just remember like, like episodes. Well, dude, that's a hilarious thing about when they're like, "Oh, we don't want to have Davros in a fucking wheelchair." They'd milk Davros dry ever since he first appeared. You know, it wasn't mm. like he appeared once. He's been in every Dalek storyline ever since. <laughs> so it's like this recent, whoa, too hot to touch. It's like, yeah, Jesus, after you've milked him fucking dry, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, there's a story I like, I don't know the name of it, but it's it's like, um, it involves a mummy. Pyramids of Mars. Like, Pyramids of Mars. Yes, that's it. Yes. Great story. Great story, Rich. Uh, that's a very strong storyline. Um, that's from the same season, I think, as Seeds of Doom, which is the final, um, in fact, I know it is, the final appearance of Sarah Jane Smith. It might be the storyline just before it. That's a really strong mm. story, I agree. I love that story. And then finally, my other story that I love is one called Inferno, which is a 
John Pertwee story where they go into a parallel, something weird happens, and they go into a parallel universe where the Brigadier has got like an eye patch and is evil. Um, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, it's very similar to like, remember the mirror universe in Star Trek? Yeah. Um, it's essentially their version of that. Um, it's crazy. And I remember, you know, when we're young, we're so innocent. I was like, wow, this is the, this is it going forward. <laughs> when I was watching mm. it, I'm watching it and I'm a kid. I'm like, wow, wow, Brigadier's evil now that we're stuck with this. Yeah. Wow. We, and, and I remember other, other, you know, a couple of other fans going, no, Dave, slow down. It's um, it, it's only a one-off. And I was like, no, I don't think so, guys. <laughs> well, I mean, my favorite, the reason I like uh, um, uh, Pertwee so much is a lot of his one stories featured the master. Oh, yeah. Which, which was a lot of fun because I remember there was one where uh, the master was always trying to start a war. Yeah. Like there was one where he was trying to start World War Three. I think, between like China and, and America and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and then um, there was one. There was one episode where the Daleks hire him or something. Or yeah, they... fr- frontier in space. The Daleks yeah, turn up the at the end. And you know, I just I the reason I like Pertwee so much is that it felt like a hero and a villain. Yes. Yeah. 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 And but it's because obviously they didn't have the budget for this one, although they had good writers. Great and writers. so a lot of it takes place on Earth. He's like sort of the TARDIS isn't working properly or something. Yeah. Yeah. Stuck yeah, on yeah. Earth. yeah. But of course, <clears throat> because they didn't have like all these different sort of threats. They had to give him like a constant villain, totally. and, the, and the it was great. The villain was a master. And I really enjoyed it. It was very like Saturday morning cartoon in a way. I am the master, and you must obey me. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it was it was it was fantastic. All right. Well, tearing ourselves away from Doctor Who, uh, although it's hard for me. Um, not for me. No, I torn myself away a long time ago. No, not, <laughs> not me. I, I hang on. I'm like an abused wife at this point. Um, and you know what? There's so much old that you can just keep rewatching it, and you'll probably learn shit you didn't even realize. Like you yeah. could probably watch another episode. Like if you were just kept going back, like like rewinding and going back and watching from so, you could watch it probably seven times and still pick up something you never noticed well, before. I totally agree with you, Rich. Well, just watching that colorized thing. What I did uh, yesterday was I downloaded about seven um, Tom Baker episodes, probably more, more like about ten or eleven Tom Baker episodes, and I thought, yep, this is gonna be weekend watching. You know. No. Oh, dude, like, fuck it. Because some of them I've only seen, like, maybe twice and not in 30 years. And I'm like, fuck it, I'll watch these. I don't, I don't care. You know? Mm. You know, you can't tell me that um, the best Tom Baker episodes, they shit all over what we saw a couple of days ago. You know? Mm. Like, like seriously. Creature from the Pit, Genesis of the Daleks, Pyramids of Mars, Seeds of Doom, uh, you know, Robots of Death. The, these storylines are about a thousand times better than what we saw the other day with Meep and the Star Beast, you know? Oh, yes. Um, not saying they can't do good stories now, but, like, what I'm saying is that there's a plethora of really good storylines there, and it's not like I've watched them recently. I, I'll say this. When I was, when I was um, you know, an angsty little teenage Dave, you know, thought he had a lot of <laughs> answers, Rich. I had the Who Files, my friend. I just videotaped every single, every single episode. And um, let me tell you, girls weren't a problem, weren't an issue. I remember my sister saying, "You're not going to catch any girls with those." I said, "Don't need them. Got the hoof holes." <laughs> <laughs> I have my virginity protector. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm like not necessary. Um, uh, you know, because I used to pester my sister to watch them with me because she did watch them a little bit. Like she liked them, you know. But like she would humour me and watch a couple episodes, and that would be enough. Um, now, Justifies Timothy Oliphant is going to star a new Alien series over at FX. The project 
Executive produced by Ridley Scott, um, blah, blah, blah. We'll see Oliphant play Kirsch, a synth who acts as a mentor and trainer for Chandler's Wendy, who is a hybrid, a metahuman who has the brain and consciousness of a child but the body of an adult. I feel like we've been here before, Rich, with this kind of stuff. Um, Probably. Fighting an like Also, can I remember, remind them? Fighting aliens, I hope. You know. <laughs> we've got an, an alien in there, Ridley? Uh, we've got like a synth and a fucking guy in a, who's a child. I mean, has, has he not ruined this franchise enough, though? He's seriously. It's like, come on, Ridley. Fresh off fucking Napoleon. Like, he's like... He, uh, the smartest thing that Ridley did, right, mm. was w- when it got handed off to James Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was great. I feel like, you know what? I feel like that's what the alien universe needs is... I don't think one person should be doing Alien. Yeah. I feel like it's a franchise where, where, whether it's a hit or miss, different people can come in and put, like, their own spin on it. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, so the first one, very horror, mm. you know, um, uh, it's almost like a slasher horror, you know yeah. what I mean? It's that stalker horror sort of thing. But then the second one, while still has horror elements, is a much more, like, um, militaristic... Um, um, very like sort of like eighties satire on like corporate greed, you know, which is very big mm. in the eighties. People making mm. movies, but I just feel like I think you know, and you know what? I, I know Alien Three gets a lot of bad rap and all that, but I actually didn't mind it. Um, the only thing I didn't like was them killing off um, Newt and um, oh, I hate that. You know, if they just kept them, I fucking hate that. And, and them have them on this prison thing that could have been cool. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you know what's coming. These fuckers don't, but you're in a you're in a prison. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so, no one's listening to you. The people in charge, and or it's I don't even think they have people there. Like they just get dumped on this planet. You know it's what I mean? Like planet. it's a good it's a good concept. Um, it's a con- good concept, but yeah. I just feel like I don't like just. Oh my god, Prometheus was so bad. You didn't <laughs> and like even it. Even Alien Covenant just wasn't good. Yeah, look, Prometheus and Alien Covenant. I, I enjoy them, but they're not great or anything but they're i feel just, like it's not pushing anything forward in fact alien covenant just feels very derivative and oh. prometheus was so far removed mm. like it didn't even have alien in it really if you like i mean it you just know has I mean? the like, end part with alien yeah um in fact i would have preferred prometheus if it had no ties to the alien mm. franchise whatsoever yeah oh it feels like i don't know i i, I feel like people made a big deal about the engineers, and seriously, I, I didn't even know yeah. they were a thing. It's one of those things where you don't need an origin. Dude, I didn't even know when I watched Alien. I have, I've not watched it, like, a lot. I, I, I missed people like the engineer. I'm like, who? Mm. <laughs> I was like, huh? And then I'm like, did I watch a different cut? And it's like in it for, like, one fucking second. Like, blink and you miss it, and I certainly did blink and miss it. Did I need a whole movie about the alien? And also, they're so poorly explained. Like, when you watch Prometheus, good luck making sense of whatever the fuck happened there. You know? With those engineers, and they're just evil. And it's just like, really, this is the best we've got? Like, it just felt like Ridley was like, he's like seeing this, like, man, I've got to come up with something here. (laughs) Like, it's not like he had this complicated fucking backstory. You can tell he just... It's like, oh, wow, just got to turn the old brain around and come up with the best we can, and then there's all the stuff with the cyborg. uh, You know, it's just... None of it's that great. 
in my opinion. Like, it's interesting a little bit, and it's okay, but it's like, it's not... You're not sitting there thinking, man, if you tell me what are the best Alien movies, Alien and Aliens, not fucking Prometheus or Alien Covenant or anything else. Mm. Like, it's like, that's where it peaked, and now they're like, oh, we're going to give it a really... I mean, you could do a really good TV series. It's possible, but... Mm. um, And and you know what? And... And that's what I say. Like Alien Three and Alien um, Resur- uh, oh, fuck. Resurrection, Resurrection, was whatever. Even that movie had potential, but you know what they did wrong with that movie? Mm. Sigourney Weaver should have been the bad guy. Yeah. So they spliced her with that alien. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they couldn't separate whatever. So imagine if they like tried to make her as like a weapon. Yeah. And it ends up that she's actually like now the queen mother. Like she's the mother and. She's actually the bad guy. And I'm like, that could, again, the, those movies have potential. They were just executed so poorly. Yeah. But I don't even feel like the Prometheus or the Covenant are interesting ideas. They're just sort of more like Ridley Scott's vanity projects to me, you know? Like. Yeah. And you know what? A lot of people are giving him, and, and again, I'm, I'm feeling a bit sort of like um, dejected about Ridley Scott here because, I, you know, people are like raving about like. Um, Oh fuck! What's the Mars one with um? What is it? Matt Damon. Oh, um, the Martian. Martian. I mean, he barely did anything on that. <laughs> well, he directed it, didn't he? No, but he. I think he came in like later. Oh, did he? I, I, I don't know. I think he came in and replaced it. It's or whatever, a pretty good movie. I, I, I watched it not that long ago. No, it's no, it's yeah. I'm just saying, I don't think that that's a good indication of where he is now, because mm. after watching Napoleon, I don't know if. Mm. I don't know if Ridley's got it. And after the alien stuff and all that, I honestly don't know if Ridley's got it anymore. Well, dude, he's or almost like... If he's, gonna, if he's more inconsistent now with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just impressed he's still walking around directing things. Him and Clint Eastwood in their advanced years, I'm sure I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, anyway, it is what it is. I Look, I'm not... Th- when I read that description about the alien thing, my eyes start to glaze over with boredom. Um, mm. You know, give me more military against aliens. Gee, that'd be nice, you know? Be I fun. played the I played the uh, the the shooter game. Yeah, uh, that that came out. That was fun. Yeah, get this: Baz Luhrmann's Australia movie is now a six part series on Hulu with extra yeah. content. Michelle brought this into me as news, and I was like, "Really? Like?" And, and you I, know what's funny? It still stars Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman. No, it's the same movie, but with extra. It's 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 footage. It's the same movie, dude. And yeah, it's but a six-part series. The movie was never six hours. No, no, but it's all extra footage that he had from then. So it's it's he's and he could fit it up to like six hours. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, we 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 put this. I'd forgotten all about it, but um, we put this in the news like a, a year ago, and it and it, and I looked on Hulu after Michelle said it, and there and there was Hugh Jackman and um, Nicole Kidman, and it's called something else. It's called Far Away, something or other. Like, it's got a different name, but yeah. It's footage that he shot, and he and he just um, you know he's 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 got the green light from Hulu to put all this extra stuff in, and I don't think the yeah, and it's like six hour six parter, and it's just like wow. I I actually think for non Australians, it's probably you know they'd enjoy it a lot more. For an Australian audience, it was pretty on the nose, but probably internationally, it's probably got a bit more of an appetite. I would think. Um, mm. Anyway, it's just interesting. I mean, it's just like wow, they're really a believer in the Australian movie. I wonder if uh, <laughs> Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman, I'm sure they see something. They're like, a check turns up. They're like, oh, sweet. We did this thing 20 years ago, and it wasn't a big hit. 
um, you know, comparative to his other stuff. But yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Like that. There's something else. Um, oh, it's um, what's his name? Tarantino wants to do the same thing with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's got a cut of it that he wants to um, do literally the same thing, like a six-part thing on Netflix. He's got a deal to do He's it. So self-indulgent. It is very self-indulgent, but sometimes if it's it's very self-indulgent, but if you're a massive fan of that movie, it's actually probably really cool because you get to see a lot of extra footage. I and, mean, I am you know, a massive fan of, of Tarantino. I don't know if I need six hours. <laughs> well, like, you say that, but apparently it includes the Dean Martin scenes, so I'm all about it. So there's a whole scene with Dean Martin um, that um, so, was So cut. You, you would watch six hours for 15 minutes of Dean uh, the answer, the answer to that question is yes, because I want to see. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think. I, I could be wrong here. I think he may have done Dean Martin um, digitally. I don't think it's an actor playing him. I think it's like a. Um, I don't know. I don't I, think he would have done. That. I no, I, I no, I don't know. I, no, yeah, I don't. I don't know. But yeah, no, I'd watch it because I love that movie. So. That's an ex- look. I agree. It's incredibly self-indulgent. I'm not. I'm not debating. It, it, it definitely is. It's a guy sitting at home going, "Yeah, you know what I want to do? Turn my fucking already bloated three-hour movie into like a six-hour bloated movie." Yeah, but if you love that setting and stuff like I do, I'm all for it. But it is self-indulgent, and I mean, Baz Luhrmann with Australia, it is as well. But there's also an appetite. Like Hulu's obviously thought, "Yeah, there's a there's a market here. People will watch it." And Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman, you know, they're still big. So it's interesting. Um, and Michelle was very proud of herself. She came in and she goes, I've got news, I've got news. <laughs> <laughs> um, Disney CEO Bob Iger has confirmed he will exit when his contract ends in 2026. Apparently he's exhausted and he's just burnt out about all these films that are you flopping. You should never have come back. What an idiot. Well, possibly the pay packet may have been quite tempting, Rich. You know. Yeah, but he's also now... He got out, like... Yeah, perfect at the timing. right time, he did, and now he's come back to taint his uh, legacy, quote unquote legacy. Yeah, it is a bit like that. It's it's the ball player who's retired, and they call him back two years later, and it's like, well, you should have said retired. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're hurting the legacy. Yeah, and, and it's not all of his own making, but Disney have certainly um, they're floundering box office wise at this point in time. It's it, the hits are few and far between. I actually think. Do you not think some like okay? I agree. Look. We all agree. Some of their content is pretty shit. Um, do you think there is a real seed change happening in regards to people going to the movies for the price? Like, oh uh, yeah, can I? So we went to go watch Napoleon last night. Yeah, and we were two of two, four, maybe eight people. And that movie's had a lot of promotion, you know. And it's only about a week old. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, a week yeah. old, and we went on a Thursday night, 6 o'clock. Yep. So which is kind that. of prime time. Yep, yep. And entire cinema, only eight people, including us. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I like, And the thing is, Rich, that movie has had a lot of promotion, and it's got Joaquin Phoenix, and it's got Ridley Scott, and it's Napoleon. And, and, you know what? And one, yeah, t- uh, tickets are expensive, right? Yeah. And... I'm I'm one of the few idiots, right? I still I still keep buying popcorn because oh, it's, a, it's supposed to be experience, right? Sure. But after last night, I will never buy popcorn again. The popcorn was so stale. Yeah. 
right? I sat there, I started eating, and it actually mm. hurt my teeth. Popcorn. Really? Because of the kernels, the popcorn was so stale that after a while it was actually hurting my teeth. I had to stop eating it. That's disappointing. And yeah, I was so pissed off because when we left, there was no one for me to complain to. <laughs> oh, really? Because like, obviously we came out, it was like um, 9.30 or something like that because, you know, it's fucking... Um, uh, you know, it's almost closing time, basically. So, like, yeah. literally everyone had disappeared. Because I was literally going to give them the two popcorn and say, I want my money back. Yeah. Because um, I was like, I'm sorry, that's like that. Uh, it's unacceptable that you, you keep such stale popcorn. Like, yeah. wh- when did you make that at 12 o'clock this afternoon? Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, or 9 o'clock this morning? Um, and on top of that, I'm getting sick and tired mm. of the amount of ads that I have to watch. I timed it. So, I actually sat there and I timed it. Before we got our first trailer, mm-hmm. 18 minutes of ads. Yeah, crazy. 18 minutes yeah. of ads. Yeah. Right? One ad, I'm not joking, went on for three minutes. Yeah, it's just, it's terrible. Right? And then you get the trailers. So you go to a six o'clock show, your movie doesn't start till almost 6.30. Mm. And that, I'm sorry, that's unacceptable. That is That is driving people away. And the sad thing is, they're doing that because they don't have tickets anymore. Yeah, yeah. So it's not going away. It's just driving more people away. And then they, because the ads have gotten more and more, which means the, the ticket sales have got less and less. So they add, they're putting more ads, ads to make up for it. And it's driving more. It's like, I, I think they're pricing themselves out of existence. I really do. I, I just feel like they're, this is, this is, look, and there's all sorts of reasons for it, you know, but the cinema experience is now getting so expensive that people are just like me with Napoleon. I just like, you know what? It's not that great in the cinema anymore compared to being at home on a big screen. It's costing a mm. fucking fortune. Um, yeah, you know, and it's... it's way, yeah. I can go to the store and buy a bag of popcorn mm. for $2. Yeah. They will charge me like $12 for a large. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Like That's ridiculous, man. Yeah, it is. It's nuts. And I, I was just interested. And, and you look at the box office receipts. It opened at $20 million in the US. That's not impressive. This would have been an expensive movie with all these battle scenes and everything else. You know? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie is going to lose money. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Meyer, uh, the guy who did Ratha Khan, Undiscovered Country, uh, has offered an update on a Trek Khan series. Uh, we know how fond you are of prequels, Rich, so you'll enjoy this one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we all know Khan from Rather Khan was to follow the events between the TV episode Space Seed um, and then the film, showing his exile with his wife and other fellow augments. Um, I actually, I, I mean, I hate to say this, like, I don't know if I need a series, but, like, I wouldn't mind, like, a, a TV movie of that or a special or whatever you call it. Like, I'm not sure if I need a series, but... I think that would be interesting. Um, he offered an update on the long gestating project, which was recently retooled into a scripted podcast. That's quite the come down. Um, now it's been shifted again into a different kind of audio drama, and hopefully more of people like it. He says it's now being worked as a radio play, nine or ten half hour episodes. I guess the thing is, if it's successful, then we go back to making something on film. This is a show. All I can tell you about it is. Is all, all I can tell you about it, and I have no wish to be indiscreet, that has a f- kitchen filled with cooks. Whatever timeline we had went out the window some months ago. That's interesting. Like, he's telling me almost there's too many cooks in the kitchen, isn't he, really? Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I don't know. Like, 
I think it's interesting that Khan, played by Ricardo Montalban, uh, went from the Space Set episode, which is a great episode, and then Wrath of Khan. There is an interesting, you know, kind of what-if storyline or whatever you call it, like, there. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting, but do we need, like, a, you know, fucking 10-season show? No. Um, I think it could be told inside of a 90-minute or 100-minute movie, you know, or movie, I mean a TV movie. You know what I mean? Like a, like a TV special. That's 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 how I'm seeing it, Rich. What do you think? Uh, I think a novel would be fine. Yeah, you're just not a prequel guy, though, are you? Michelle's I the same. Much as that, I'm I'm not a prequel guy, and I also really don't fucking need a, a prequel about the villain. Mm, yeah. Also, I'm we, sorry, yeah. I I just I'm getting a little bit tired of like every villain has to be sympathetic. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I understand that, you know, villains need to be a bit more complex and all that sort of stuff, but not every villain needs a fucking sob story. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, because if every villain has a sob story, then no villain has a sob story. Do you know what I mean? Like, it it, it means that they're all indistinguishable. They're all the the fucking... He he always did have a slight bit of sympathy, though, because Kirk put him on the planet and then the planet's hit by a solar flare or something. He was a a fucking, like... uh, uh, supremacist fucking terrorist like he was going to kill every single person on the ship was it yeah and enslave the rest of the ship no i mean no i mean in wrath of khan though the thing was when kirk put him on the planet it was to give them a chance at building their own society but then something something went wrong but i mean that's not exactly um kirk's fault no no. And I also don't care because you wouldn't have been put there in the first place if you were. I bet you if they're like, and the real <laughs> villain is James Tiberius Kirk in the, in the film. You know that. I wouldn't put it past yeah. Who was a racist as well? <laughs> they say that at the end. And he's a racist. <laughs> and you're racist if you like him. <laughs> they, yeah. He points to the camera and go, you're the problem. <laughs> well, do you know what's funny? Some I haven't watched it, and I probably never will. But someone pointed out something which is quite funny. They were like, "If you think about, uh, you know, the Marvels, yeah. he goes, if you actually stop to think about it, mm, yeah. and, and Carol is the villain, sure, and um, the 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 chick that uh, is Tom uh, Hiddleston's wife. What character does she play? I have no idea." Panda, doopy, doopy, whatever is actually, <laughs> if, if if you took it from her POV, is actually the hero. Okay, I don't even like, know so who she's playing. Basically, um, Carol destroys the supreme being, uh-huh. which which basically kills the planet. Right, kills millions of people. Okay, right. This chick is trying to save her people. Uh-huh. Right, right. And and if you look at it from that point of view. It's weird because sure. that's something that a hero would do. Like you're giving them the sort of the hero arc of they're trying to save their people. Now, obviously, she does it in a shitty way. But you don't actually paint the Carol Danvers character in a better light either. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's because a classic thing. When they get to that, that, that planet where everyone fucking sings mm. and the bad guys come there and start destroying it, she literally says, we need to go. We can't save anyone. Like... Mm-hmm. Planet's fucked. Let's go. Like we, we've got to save who we can. It's like wow, so heroic. <laughs> it's like yeah. I don't know. It's funny how I don't know if people today know how to actually write heroes. Yeah, well, they're always trying. I mean? they, they're trying to add what they think is nuance. But the danger is that you take all the edges of everybody. You know, 
And yeah, that's what I'm saying. I just I wouldn't put it past them to to do a show where yeah, uh, you know, it, it'll like James knew. They knew there was a chance that the fucking sun could go over or some shit. And, and what, like, what what yeah. I hate is, go back and watch the episode. He didn't know that. That's that's the. the yeah, but that's retconning, bro. Yeah, you know, that's it is. That happens all the time. That said, I wouldn't mind a ninety-minute special of the story. You know, I think sure. it would be interesting. I mean, you know, look, people can like what they want and, and want what they want. Doesn't mean that I have to watch it. Uh, mind you, I'm not sitting here fucking. <laughs> I'm not sitting here going fuck. I need it bad. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like I need it. Yeah, like, I probably won't listen to the podcast. <laughs> like, fuck the podcast. Um, okay, Tiger Watiti had something to say. He was talking about Thor Ragnarok. And he said, you know what? I had no interest in doing one of those films. It wasn't on my plan for my career as an auteur. But I was poor, and I just, I just had a second child, and I thought, you know what? This would be a great opportunity to feed those children. I'm like, that's okay. He can, you know, that's fair enough. I mean, you took a job for the money, and it turned out well. So, happy story, you know? People were criticizing. He's a very high opinion of himself, though. Well, uh, was he even a name before this movie? I, I, I wouldn't even have a fucking clue. If was he, was he a well-known yeah, director? I mean, he was. I mean, he can't say he was broke. I'm sure he was doing what we do in the shadows before Thor. Sure. Yeah, but maybe that wasn't. And, and he might have for himself with that, and he was doing stuff. I, I think the whole. I was poor. Fuck off. You weren't poor. Mm. Um. Yeah, uh, because again, his definition of poor is probably very different. To yeah, he was down to his last three million. You know, you know? I, yeah, I, I was living off, uh, you know, three hundred and fifty k a year. I was snorting. I had Woe to reduce my cocaine intake. <laughs> you know, and so uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was like, burning yeah. less and, dollar bills. <laughs> but also, again, what a piece of shit! Like, you don't like it? No, I mean, like to say that. Yeah, oh, look, dude, he's also probably trying to distance himself from the whole thing now. That love and thunder. Yeah, but just bombed. I mean, no, but fuck off and own your mistakes, man. Yeah, well, yeah. Just say, look, I fuck, I made a bad movie. He's not gonna I'll, say that. Though. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we, we, I made a movie. It didn't resonate. It didn't whatever. You know, he's also trying to talk like as if he's Alfred Hitchcock as an auteur director. Oh, like, that's what I'm saying. He's got a very high opinion. Like, of it's like, what the fuck did you do before Thor Ragnarok? Like, what one show or something? Like, calm down, man. The, I was poor and I just had a second child. Jesus, how do those poor families with five kids and, just yes, a, and yeah. fucking normal jobs survive? I somehow huh? think his definition of poor um, yeah. is, you know, questionable. Uh, that's why I say, like, you know, I get it's a weird thing, but I just. And I can't explain it, right? When people say, why don't you like someone? I'll be like, I don't know. I just look at their face. Uh, he's annoying. He's annoying. No, but like before all this stuff came out, though, mm. there was just, when I, when I saw his face and I just saw, saw him in the first interview, there's just something in my brain that goes, um, mm. dick it. Or, he's very high on his own supply, Rich. You know? He's, he's loving his own fucking work that much. You know? The fact is he's calling himself an auto director. And it's like, dude, calm the fuck down. You know? You're producing entertainment for the masses, man. That's what you're doing. Yeah, you know? and I don't mean to sound nasty, but what we do in the shadows is literally just like um, a comedy, like it's comedy. generic comedy shit. Like it's comedy, like it's, yeah. It's, it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're you're not breaking any. Um, it's it's kind of black comedy, isn't it? I thought anyway. Like I mean, it's it's not it's not it's nothing we haven't seen. Is, yeah. is my point. You you ain't making shit that's like wow, so I mean, revolutionary. Re- Reservation Dogs is humorous, which I know he's a producer on, but it's not anything. You know, it's humorous and it's enjoyable, it's heartwarming, but it's still just drama, dramedy. You know, it's it's good. Mm. It's, I mean, it, dude, it's good, but I don't know. It's like I, I could name 20 other things that are just as good, you know? 
I, I just think probably more. I do. I think he's very, very uh, vain and egocentric. You know, basically. Mm. And and Thor: Love and Thunder was a fucking disaster, and now he's trying to distance himself from the Thor franchise. Like Thor, wow, I don't even remember. Oh. I'm like, yeah, well, what was that again? Like, you know, <laughs> I just you know, you know, it's funny. We, we we talk about comedies and and stuff and all that. And um, have you heard of um, those people that they call the Daily Wire? No, it's like it's, it's like this American like uh, uh, political pundit sort of thing, but they're like Republicans or on the right, right. Anyway, they started their own like streaming service, mm-hmm. um, and they're making like kids shows, and they do, they're doing movies. They're the ones that did that like uh, what's a run, fight, hide. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Safe room. Um, yeah, I know. Um, th- that sort of stuff, uh, and apparently they're doing a Pendragon series. Okay. Um, uh, but anyway, <laughs> the the trailer just came out. They they've done this comedy called Lady Ballers, mm-hmm. and it's literally. <laughs> these guys who like peaked in you know in high school or college with basketball mm-hmm. and they learn that they can just identify as women and go owning basketball <laughs> but you know what's funny oh. i watched the trailer for it it's genuinely funny yeah. like it it reminded me of those comedies that we used to get in like the early 2000s yeah like starsky and hutch like wedding ridiculous sort of shit you know like um yeah like starsky and hutch and wedding crashes Old school, that um, kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and like, uh, uh, what was the one with uh, Ryan Reynolds in it? Uh, uh, where he's he's in college and he's just like this guy that doesn't do anything. I'm not sure if I've seen that one. Hmm. Okay. Oh uh, yeah, it, it, it you know it's got like Tara Reid and all that sort of shit. Like this is early, early in his career. Oh, Van Wilder's something like yeah. that. Yeah. It's, it's in that vein. It's in that vein of like Van Wilder, The Ringer, all that sort of stuff. And I was like, shit, this genuinely looks funny and reminds me of those comedies that we used to get in the 2000s that no one makes anymore yeah and i wish they would make it because they were actually entertaining you know so anyway i i saw that i was just, i actually had a good chuckle at that it was actually genuinely funny i thought yeah no well that's good man um yeah uh what's this about sonic 3 you've got some news here about sonic 3 rich Oh, just a bit. I didn't even know they were making a Sonic Three. I mean, assume that they would, but oh. uh, apparently they they put out a. Tw- what do you call it now? What is it? It's not a tweet anymore. What do you call I, it? I don't know what you call it. So I still call you put it out tweet. an X. Yeah, I don't know what an X. <laughs> I don't know what we're supposed to call it. But yeah, call it, they put out, and it was basically they were um, uh, a teasing Shadow the Hedgehog. Okay, so it looks like Shadow the Hedgehog will be in Sonic Three. Well, that's cool. I enjoy those. Actually, enjoy. Movies. To be honest with you, I don't mind those Sonic movies. They're, they're actually fun. pretty. Yeah, they're pretty enjoyable. And they've they've done well. They've made money. No, they're good. I enjoy them. Um, this is funny. CBR is now saying you have to create an account and sign in with Google to read their fucking articles, which I don't ever want to read again. So yeah, you gotta you gotta create an account Fuck or off. sign in with Google. So I think they let you read like two or three yeah. articles, and then they're like, nope, now you gotta sign up. And I'm like. Well, one, I don't come to your site that often, but no. now I won't be coming to your site yeah, at all. Yeah, I was so like, I, your, your site sucks, your articles suck. Um, like just, any site that I go to where they go, oh, I'm sorry, using the ad blocker, disable it, otherwise you can't read anything, I go, cool, I don't need to read anything. Yeah, anymore, I don't so need bye. to read it. Like, yeah, it's, it, yeah. And also the site where they're like, seven reasons why the Punisher sucks. And it's like, fuck off. <laughs> you, you know, like, I'm sure that these places, all that shit is written by AI. Yeah, it's just like... Five reasons why Superman is the worst hero. <laughs> it's like fuck off. <laughs> like, 
I know they I know it's um what do you call it, Rich? Clickbait. But it still annoys me. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it, it's it's and not enough to oh I need to read it. I just see it and I just think, ugh, like I'm almost like, yeah, I read the headline, it's fine. Yeah. I can I can ascertain what you were you're yeah, probably gonna I can, say. I can get I can what... Probably predict what you're gonna say anyway. Exactly. Now you got some news here about Pathfinder Rich, what's happening? Yeah, so apparently um uh, I think it just came up in my feed because obviously I've been looking up so much Pathfinder and mm. you know with the game and the comic and all that. Um, so apparently they have now officially removed all D and D stuff from the game. So any rules, any really, um, uh, well, what do they call it? Um, like the dice and stuff. Well, not the dice, but like any um, fundamentals. Any I mechanics. thought the whole thing was ripped off D and D. Well, they, they started. I mean, they were using sort of D&D as sort yeah. of the building block, but now yeah. they've basically completely removed. So they have no ties. There's nothing in the game that is based on... Is that just so they can't be sued or...? Not that they can't be sued. It's just that... Uh, you remember when D&D did the, uh, shot themselves in the foot? Yeah. Where they wanted Constantly, to yeah. um, own people's shit that they were doing? Oh, and that's right. They, yeah. did, they did backtrack on it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, these guys have decided... Because they, they, they do seem to be quite successful... Yeah, they've decided. Well, who's to say you're not going to do that in the future? Sure. Like, yeah, you you you've walked back now. Yeah. But two yeah. years, three years, five years from now, what yeah. if you what if you decide now we're actually going to pull the trigger on it? So yeah, they wanted to remove any any D and D. So now okay. there is technically a competitor to D and D because now technically people could use the Pathfinder <clears throat> um, oh. rule sets and and mechanics and all that. Well, I, I I I've never played it, but I know it's recently popular and um a lot of role-playing um fans prefer it you know i've i've heard that from you know a hardcore sort of fan base there's there's quite a lot of people who think of speak very highly of the pathfinder rule system so you know yeah they're doing well, something uh, right. you know i think um uh, D have learned the hard way it's probably not best to hate your um oh yeah your, your core fan base. It's not a good model. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not good to base your, your, model, your business model on hating your core fans. <laughs> I agree. Now, you've got another news item here, Rich. What's this about the former Marvel and IDW people? What's going on? Uh, I did actually put this in. Okay. So, this must be Michael Kellisham. So, former Marvel and IDW vets uh, form a new company, Pans Universal Galactic Worldwide, which will publish comics, art books, RPGs, and novels. The company will be headed by former Marvel and Wildstorm bigwig John Nee and ex-IDW editor John Barber. First up, okay, uh, crowdfunding a hardcover Conan art book with copies of the original art of John Buscema, Gil Kane and Barry Windsor-Smith and David is Ooh. interested. <laughs> yeah. What you say Conan and you're like, oh yeah. I was like, okay, uh, all right, well that's interesting and I will put that link up um, in the show notes, okay. So if people want to go and, um, you know, uh, whatever you call it, crowdfund that, you can, you know. Um, uh, she Hulk season two is reportedly in development. I liked She Hulk season one, even though the CGI was terrible and it was a comedy. I mean, I I know heaps. It still means it has to be funny though. Yeah, I mean, when I say liked, I mean I liked. It. I didn't love it. Uh, Christopher Nolan and Guillermo del Toro um, urge fans to switch back to physical media. To be honest, guys, I'm a mixture. I've I've actually got quite a few shows recently. I bought all that Xena thing recently. I, I'm one of those guys who, yeah, if you've got a few box sets, I've got more than a few around. Uh, and we've said this before, Rich, on the show, like, don't always rely on digital, you know? 
No, but I mean, it is becoming harder and harder because um, soon there's going to be no DVDs. Yeah. Uh, Disney's getting out of the DVD market. Sure. Um, uh, it, just here in Australia, Target, Kmart, mm. and like Big W, uh, these are big chains here. They've stopped selling DVDs. Right. Um, and Blu-rays completely they're for years now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> a lot of our other places, like you remember HMV and all that sort of stuff, they've all shut wow. down. Yeah, back in the day, I remember them yeah, well. So yeah. any places that you sell DVDs, most of them are shut down. The only one who really got is JB Hi-Fi. But that's the retailer side. The, from the manufacturing side, a lot of the companies are no longer going to be doing DVDs. Right. So it's going yeah. to be nothing but digital. PC is already like that now. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, It's almost impossible to buy a physical PC game. It's sure. literally all digital. Yeah. Um, go to any... Like go to EB Games, go to JB Hi-Fi, whatever. There is no, they do not sell any physical PC games. No, just some um, console games. And no, no, but even console games now <clears throat> are there's some releases that are only digital. Diablo Two, the remake. Yeah, yeah. We didn't get a physical copy. There's a game I, I'm a big fan of, um, Dragon Quest, mm-hmm. and the new game, uh, uh, Dragon Quest Infinite Strash, came out, which is like just a hacky slashy sort of game. There's no physical version of that. It's it's digital. Um, only so yes it's important now to to get as much digital as you can because uh, to get as much physical as you can because mm. one day it will all be digital what's that saying you will own nothing and you will enjoy it <laughs> yeah and I, I that was my feeling when i saw xena at a good price i thought i'm just gonna pick this up right now you know like fuck it like why not you know i was just yeah. like why not like you know i and i I, I, those people who are like, I've got Buffy and Angel, same thing. And it's like, yeah, I, I get it that they're right now, those two things are on streaming sites, I can watch them. But at the same time, if they go off tomorrow and I, I want to watch a Buffy episode, I've got the DVD. Not, but not just that. What if your internet crashes? I mean, we had a thing recently where sure. Optus, the entire Optus network went down. Yeah. For almost the entire day, any person that had signed with Optus had no internet. Had no phone, didn't even have their mobile phones. Yeah, had no reception, nothing. For almost, I think it came back on at about like three or four o'clock in the afternoon. People were walking around with bricks, weren't they? Yeah. So it's not just like if it stops being on it. Mm. What if one day your internet's not working? What if, the, what what if like, the EMP goes off? You know. Exactly right. So, yeah. You know, it's just. I mean, physical is just. Um, it's just handy to have. I, I, yeah, I have a place for it, like, frankly. And, you know, look, there's, the you know, pluses and minuses, obviously, storage and stuff. But at the end of the day, I, I still like some of my stuff oh, physically. And yeah. also collect books, people, because mm. one day your internet's going to be out and your power's going to be out. Mm. <laughs> and if you don't have books to read, you're going to be kind of fucked. <laughs> yep. Now, Michael Kellersham has actually put in some really funny articles. Um, these are all... Uh, headlines from the Babylon Bee. So it's satire, but they're funny. So the first one was Disney awarded defense contract after producing more (laughs) bombs than Lockheed Martin. (laughs) Um, For the sake of diversity, Rich, DC are introducing a straight Christian Robin. (laughs) That's actually funny. Um, Instead of kryptonite, the new LGBTQ Superman is to be crippled by anyone using the wrong pronouns. (laughs) John Kent. Um, Cracker Jack changes name to the more politically correct Caucasian Jack. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is my favourite one. Aquaman has, has come out as even gayer rich. <laughs> that, look, I feel bad for reading that one out, but it's actually funny. Um, I like the Batman one. Yeah. Man's love for his children is put to the ultimate test after they erase his videos, game save files. Um, relevant to you, Rich, moviegoers disappointed after following, finding Napoleon is not a sequel to Napoleon uh, Dynamite. Not quite the reason I was disappointed, but funny <laughs> enough. Um, Disney are ordered to pay reparations to long-time Star Wars fans. <laughs> uh, I, I need reparations. That would be you, Rich. Uh, and a Batmobile was stolen from the movie set in Detroit. Um, this That's was a, a real headline. It was though. a real headline when Superman... 2014. Was, yeah, was being filmed, but apparently was not was not real. Um, so it was a real headline, but it was not a real story. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, it's it's so funny. We've had such a long news week, but I, uh, the one I thought was the funniest was Aquaman comes out as even gayer. Mm. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> I thought they would have said comes out as even lamer. Well, yeah, I know, but I think they're trying to be a bit edgy, Rich. You know. Yeah, it's true. Well, but, yeah. you know, they're they're like I know I don't feel good about doing like you know those kind of jokes, but it's pretty harmless stuff. Like, let's be honest. Hey, if you can't laugh at yourself, yeah, it's 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 not know. it's not that hard hitting, guys. <laughs> it's so sad. You know, you know, it's so funny. Like we used to, if you go back to like say like the nineties, right? Sure. And even early two thousands. We used to fucking mock the shit out of each other as people. Sure. We'd yeah. make jokes at each other expensive all the time, but yet yeah. we were never we're, as we still do on this. We, we, still, we, we, we still do on this show, Rich. <laughs> no, but, but I'm talking about us as like a culture, as a sure. people. Like yeah, yeah. As we a used people. to we used to mock the shit out of anyone and everything, even to each other's faces. Sure. Yeah. And yet we were not as divided as we are today. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't even know what to say to that, but it's I, it's it's true. Uh, who knows? This shit is funny, man. Like, I'm sorry, it's 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 yeah. funny because it's just funny. We, we've got to have a laugh, man. At the end of the day, like it's you know we can be deadly serious and want to talk fucking Ukraine, Russia, and Middle East all day long, but it's gonna it's gonna make you miserable. Let's be honest, you know, it's that's that's a shortcut to misery and and the gun in the mouth and ending it, you know. And do we want to go that way? Not really, you know. <laughs> I'd rather have a slow agonizing death spread over multiple decades um you know and gradually lose my facilities and then i'm just an old man staring into the abyss going where am i who am i you know just like napoleon just like napoleon on his fucking i thought he was shot at the end you're like no he goes to another island i'm like no wow, he died right. from uh, stomach cancer okay well that's gonna get you in the end i guess his last words were that bitch. Well, again, to be fair, where they exiled him at the end, there was such a shithole. Oh, okay. Like, it was such a disgusting place that really? yeah, um, his health declined pretty rapidly. When right. Him. Okay. Wow, eh? It's a sad end. So they didn't execute him, they just did it very slowly. <laughs> yeah, they just were like, fuck you. You know, now you're really going to taste it, you know. They should have put up, um, they should have put um, a signs like, remember Waterloo? <laughs> like stuff like to, stuff like to depress him like <laughs> he's like fuck <laughs> greatest hits but like it's greatest losses <laughs> oh if only Abba was around hilarious <laughs> Wing Comics Rich Woo. first one up was G.I. Joe 301 um, this is the first uh, comic by Larry Hammer uh, under the continuation under Skybound, Robert Kirkman's imprint. 
Um, obviously, it's his continuation of the Real American Hero storyline that's been going on since 1982. Um, yeah, a lot of fun, basically. Like, And I like the way it's very accessible to, I think, you uh, pretty much like new fans or lapsed fans. You come back on board, you jump on this G.I. Joe. It's a good time. There's a little explanation at the start, and there's a character recap page at the end, which I think probably should have been at the start. But um, regardless, mm. I thought this was a fun issue. Like, I, I had no problems with it. It's a solid 8 out of 10 for me. What did you think, Rich? Yeah, um, I mean, both the, uh, the, the, the GI... I mean, I enjoyed the GI Joe. I thought the art was fantastic. Mm. Um, it was also a bit weird, though. Mm. Like... It's entertaining and it's fun, but also not much happens. In this like it's almost like the whole issue is like takes place in like an hour, <laughs> like, um, yeah. and I'm not sure what's happening. Like, it's well, it's a cold you, open, isn't it? It's a very cold open. Like it's, you know, I mean, very cold. Like you literally, it starts. I feel like it starts at the end of an issue or something. You know what I mean? Like at yeah. the end of a story. So it starts with like a uh, Duke and. Um, Mr. Cowboy, um, is it rock and roll? Or no, it's uh, Wild Bill. Wild in Bill. the plane, uh, and so they they're basically crashing for the whole issue. Yeah, like, and then there's the others on like the boat, and they've captured, yeah. and then Pentragon is releasing some weird mutation cloud, or yeah, Doctor Mindbender, yeah, and Serpento. Nuke bomb. Well, no, it's uh, Pentragon. Uh, what's his name? Serpento. Yes, yeah, Serpento. Sorry, Serpento's the one that does it. Mm. Um. Even against the probably against the wishes of uh, Dr. Mindbender. Yeah. Um, and then it ends with, I think, with them like saluting. Yeah, but the there's a lot of... that's going on in the meantime, man. I thought it was action packed. Yeah, but that's my point. It's like it's action packed, but but not moving forward, if that makes I don't know if I'm from it. I'm not yeah. sure if I explain this correctly. I feel like, as I said, I feel like this whole issue, it's, and it's a fairly lengthy issue. Mm it, it if, but i feel like it's it's an only an hour's worth of like event yeah right do you know what i mean like i don't feel it's like a, a, a like i don't feel like it's a it's a mission that's happened throughout the whole day i feel like i've come at the end of the mission yeah. and i'm just experiencing the last hour of it yeah <laughs> which no, was I, just I, yeah. it was weird i still enjoyed it mm. the action was good and all that but i was like i just the the issue felt a bit weird where as i said i feel like i've i feel like i've come into the last hour of a movie yeah but yeah. it's a three-hour movie. Do you think that's what he was trying to do, though? He wants he wants to hit the readers. Yeah, to me, the way I saw Because I agree. I was like, wow. But I sort of like a cold open because everyone catches up in the same breath. You know, that's how it felt. Like, everything's happening while you're watching it and everyone's learning at the same time. Um, the The thing where the guy died, I was like, I didn't know who that was. You know, they're like the adopted father of such and such. And then at the end, you get, like, all the different fucking Snake Eye clone ninjas. And I was just like, yeah, we could probably do with a couple of these guys gone. You know? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know how there was, like, Snake Eyes and then there was Snake Eyes with a headband? <laughs> like, yeah. And whoever the other person was. And, like, but but that said, I did like that he assembled a pretty classic team with the most of it was a pretty classic, recognisable down the middle Joes, which I think is good. Um, so yeah, yeah I, look, I, I'm giving it eight out of ten. I, I I really enjoyed it. 
I'm certainly, I'm thinking we might stick along for the ride on this one, Rich. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I don't mind. Uh, yeah. I, I'm giving it a seven and a half. Cool. Um, but still enjoyable. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, I, like, I like the, the intro by Osahama and all that, like, uh, with oh, yeah. write-up. Definitely. In it. I can't remember if it was at the start or the end. No, it was it was good to, 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 to get that to get that vibe direct from Larry, you know? Like who obviously knows what he's fucking talking about. You know? Like yep. how crazy that he's been writing this since nineteen eighty two. With a few little brief stops, but most of the time he's been hard at it, you know? It's pretty cool. Like, yeah, I think I, mean, I, I it, but also it's it's good because um it's been very consistent. Yeah, super. Super consistent. No, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Then we had Joe Cubit presents, and we really can just focus on the Sergeant Rock storyline, which was a pretty somber reminder of the sacrifices uh, at D Day. Frankly, um, you know, and yeah, it was it was more sort of the next Sergeant Rock story is more kind of balls to the wall, normal Sergeant Rock, but this was more sort of reflective, wasn't it, Rich? I thought so. Uh, I thought it was quite quite somber. Yeah. Yeah, I, you like you know it's an important thing to remember when you think about history and and the sacrifices that people make storming those beaches um, against heavily fortified positions. Uh, you know, it's a special it's a special kind of person who I don't know. It's just crazy, basically. You know, I know people are dying right now in wars, and they're not the only ones who ever died. But I'm just saying that that assault was intense. You know, very fucking intense, and if you're one of the people there who either survived or lost a lot your life, um, you actually did do it for a very good cause. But it would have been terrifying in a lot of ways, I think. Um, oh, of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, we we couldn't even imagine it, honestly. Yeah, uh, like the only thing I think, really, honestly, if we're being honest, all like really honest. If you're called in, either enlisted or you, you um, whatever you call it, like, um, you know, drafted, in whatever happens and you're told you have to go and fight in some war, and look, uh, yeah, there would be some hard charges out there who would have no fear. Those people do exist. I, I, I understand that. But if it, you know, if it happened to you or me, I, it's not we wouldn't do it. We'd do it. But, like, a normal person, there's going to be an element of, like, fuck, what have I got yeah. myself into here? Also, you, don't, you don't know how... I mean, you just, like, you hope that you would react the way that you mm. want to, you know, or that you should react. But again, until you're actually in. Yeah, under fire. Until you're in that, that moment right there, you, you honestly don't know yeah. Um, yeah. how you would actually and, and imagine, like, you know, I often think about it, somewhere in, like, Vietnam. Like, and you're out there on patrol. You don't know what the fuck you're doing, you know? You're walking, yeah. around, you're walking around... There could be booby traps everywhere. They, they, they know the terrain. You, you've got a limited mission. You know, you, you're almost, you're almost, what's the word? You're almost like prime candidates for a sniper attack or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And that would play on your mind. That's the kind of thing, it's the slow death. You know, it's it's playing on your mind. And you can understand why people, um, you know, that's one of the situations where I can understand why people are hitting the bar hard and stuff because they sort of don't want to think about that sort of shit, you know? In mm-hmm. the in the war zone, I I, I get that element um, from it, so it's crazy. Then we had Sergeant Rock three three nine, which was classic down the line, Sergeant Rock and his story of the preemptive strike on Normandy, man, um, which was uh, kind of fun. I thought, like as opposed to the somber, 
one. This was kind of Sergeant Rock. I, I was at first like, is he do, real D-Day? But no, it was like the year before, like the practice run. Yeah. It, yeah, I didn't even know if that, I, like, I'm assuming that must have happened. I don't, I, I don't think so. Not to I don't think, but but again, maybe it's something that I didn't know about. Because I mean, I mean, I've not watched and consumed every single thing I about don't, World War II. Look, uh, yes, there were covert actions in Europe, but no, there wasn't like this, which was like a full-on like invasion sort of fent. In, no, that didn't happen. Well, it was a full-on. There may have just been a couple of boats to just sort of. Well, there was certainly see if they got that foothold, but obviously they were prepared for it. But again, I uh, my dad's more the yeah the World War Two buff than me. You should ask your dad because, as far as I'm aware, th- this didn't happen. Um, I would say, look, definitely the Airborne Rangers went into Europe. I think they were the first ones to touch down on D Day, I believe, or maybe it was the the Pegasus Bridge, but. That was all on D-Day. Um, and there would have been covert actions, I would assume, like during in Europe, small scale during the war. But this was kind of more like a mock invasion force, uh, like testing the mm. German defences. Canadian and uh, British. It's a pretty entertaining comic, can I say that? I kind of enjoyed it. I was, I'm, I'm a sucker for Sergeant Rock stories. Like from back, you know, it's sort of like, you know why it is? I mean, they're good, firstly. Um, and the artwork's cool, and it just it brings me back to my childhood and, and, and going and, and going to the comic stand, and these war books were always there, and I didn't know who anyone was, like, in terms of names and stuff. Like, I just enjoyed them, you know? Like, mm. I'm sorry, but, like, I did. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're entertaining. You can't tell me. That yeah, you- they are, and, and uh, but you know what made me a bit sad? I was like, I don't think that current writers could write this now today. No. Like... They, they, and I don't mean that as an insult. I just mean, but they're so far removed sure. from um, from not only the event, but the people that participate in the event. Sure. So, like, when these sort of stories were, were written, they were sort of written by, like, the 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 children yeah. and the grandchildren of the people that participated. But now you've got great-grandchildren yeah. who are, like, kind of, but they didn't really grow up with their, you know, with those grandparents. Yeah. Or get those sort of stories, or you know, and also again, also being so far removed now from that war mm. that I don't think that the younger writers could write stories like this. Honestly, I mean, again, unless I've done a lot of research, but mm. I, I just don't, I just don't think they could because uh, I felt shit like when I was reading this, mm. you know, like the the, the 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 first one when the where he's telling you know the the dad's telling his kid the story of like you know sergeant rock and all that and you know the lives that he saved and the mm. the, the cemetery and all that sort of stuff like i was like shit man that's you know what i mean like that that's that's deep that's emotional that makes me feel because my grandfather did yeah yeah definitely um f- fighting the war you know what i mean and yeah. i know the, the stuff that happened to him so I, I i was just reading this game this is why you can't i don't think you can with the current breed of writers now i don't think they could tell stories that make you feel like this about war i mean like unless they unless i mean there's plenty of other wars so you know I mean, they could maybe write something about yeah like middle east or afghanistan or something like that but i'm talking about like the big one you big know what one. i mean i'm talking yeah. about like sure the big one. yeah um yeah good point i mean i i think i milked my granddad for just <laughs> every story <laughs> like i was incessant like when i 
when I was I was a little kid and uh, he fought a World War Two and I was like, oh, you know, tell me everything, you know, kind of thing. And like he didn't really want to mm. talk about it, but like you know, you'd you'd get some stuff out of him. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. My my, my grandfather was a POW. He escaped with a really? fake passport to Switzerland. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. My wow, but my dad was Hogan's hero so much. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, no, it's crazy. Uh, look, I mean, the the things that happened in that war uh, on, on how many fronts there are and stuff, you can see why it's been fodder for a million, you know, shows and movies and this and that, and some of them really good too, and some of them terrible. But no, it's it's crazy. Um, it's crazy, and and look, I I can't believe, and I'll say this right now on the signal, I cannot believe there's not a Sergeant Rockleman of us out there, you know, because I think that would be a bestseller, really. There's a lot of old fans who, oh, for sure, yeah, you know, who'd, yeah. Who'd oh, they need to do these war omnibuses, yeah, the oh, Sergeant Rock, and just even just the war ones, because I mean, I grew up reading Commando, sure, and and all that sort of stuff, and and they were great. I'm sorry, oh, they're fucking fantastic. I totally agree. Uh, then we had, um, and, and believe me, we'll do some more Sergeant Rock on this show. And go check this one out because it's Sergeant Rock's preemptive strike on D-Day. Um, and it was so convincing I thought it was D-Day. <laughs> um, uh, Marvel Secret Wars Battleworld, issue one by Tom DeValco. Um, this is cheesy fun. It was like, it was like eating pizza for me, Rich. I, I, I loved it. Um it's lightweight. Um, I don't think it's going to win any sort of, you know, um, Eisner Awards. But if you if you like Secret Wars, this was the fun place to stop in at. What did you think, Rich? Uh, unfortunately, this is the the one Ouch. I didn't have time to read. Oh, that's okay. Well, it was good. Um, and then we'll, we'll, well, we'll, it's felt like I'm sure it would have been. But. Yeah, seven point five out of ten. Then we had Ghost Rider thirty three. This was recommended. This was rec- I know Rich is going to have a different opinion. This was recommended to me by uh, Brian Biggie over at Inner Demons who gave a very long history of Ghost Rider, which I'm too tired to read out right now. But I loved this issue, Rich. All the... This is... You know, if you wanted a comic that displays my mind and how I visualise Ghost Rider through the ages, this is it. We have hit it. The jackpot here, Richard. I was thoroughly entertained, my friend. And... I I couldn't get enough. Give me more of this, Jason Aaron. And Brian Biggie, is there more of this stuff in Jason Aaron's run? Because this was gold in the hills, Rich. Now, where were you? Because you were putting out some comments pre-show. Uh, I was I was thoroughly entertained at how farcical it was. I thought it was hilarious. And <laughs> uh, just how, like, stupid it was. Wow. Different reaction from me, Rich. Coming I, in. I'm sorry. Doing the whole, like... Look at all the different fucking Ghost Riders and Indian Ghost Rider. Here's Tommy Gun Ghost Rider. Here's fucking, you know, I was just like, this is so fucking lame. All writers, the writers like Aaron, all that, all they know how to do is dilute. Oh, but um, it was fun though, man. Something special, man. I'm sorry. Like oh. the same when he does the, because he's the one who did the fucking BC, you know, the Mammoth Rider, whatever, the Ghost Rider on the Mammoth. Oh, yeah. I wasn't so fucking fond of that. Fucking lame stuff, man. I'm. Again, when you take away so much of the mystery, yeah, I just I don't I don't you make me not care about the character. If you're telling me that there's been fifty-seven million Ghost Riders, mm. right, and you're going to ridiculously show me all of them doing just stupid shit like this, <laughs> I love the guys on the yeah. CB, the trucker and his buddy. 
Yeah, like again, yeah, like it's fucking trucker ghost rider, and it's you know, <laughs> and I was just like, this is just so lame, man. Like I don't, Dude. I feel like uh, I, I said to you after I read it, I said, mate, I wasn't sure if this was genuine or if this was a parody. Well, it's having a bit like, of fun. I, I, I think. Parody. I think it's having a bit of fun, man. I I, I think it's like not to be taken uh, too seriously. I just I don't again. There's certain properties I think you can have fun with. I personally wouldn't take Ghost Rider down the let's be quirky, fun, yeah, like uh, uh, route. I'm sorry, I just yeah, you weren't feeling like, it, were you, man? You weren't feeling it at no, all. I just feel like that's not the character to do it with. That's all. Like, I, just... I I understand what you're saying. I loved it. I must admit, I actually did love it. Um, I Brian B. Is there more of this in Jason Aaron's run? Is this worth reading? Because I fucking love this issue. And, dude, the whole thing was, if you go back to some of the old comics, there's one with the Ghost Rider who's a cowboy back in the day who's all in white. I've, it's, I believe it's Ghost Rider 50, man. There is precursors for this, man, for the rider, you know? I, could... uh, uh, I don't think that guy was a Ghost Rider. Okay, well, okay, maybe not. But, um... I, I, what are you talking about we covered that in a in <laughs> in a, in an issue. Okay. Yeah. All right. He's not a ghost rider. I thought he was the ghost rider. I thought he was no. a ghost rider. I thought that's literally what he was, the ghost rider. I don't know. No, I, I don't think he was, dude. You know, I've got it here. I'm looking at. Oh, well, slow down. He's the night rider. Yeah, as I said, I don't think he was the ghost. Uh... I've got this issue on my comic because I love it so much. He's a, he's a kind of ghost, I think, though. Yeah, he's a ghost. He's just a yeah, ghost. But not, yeah, but he's not. He's not ghost rider. He's not the flaming skull. No, ghost rider. No, but what I mean is like that. There, how do you call it? Like, oh man, I'm looking at this old ghost rider comic. It's fucking awesome. Um, I don't know. It's it, he's a he's a guy from the past. I think, dude. I think he's from back back in the Wild West days. But he's not got any ties to Ghost Rider. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to tell you. But what I'm saying is, my mind's filling in a lot of blanks. You know, my, incorrectly, yes. <laughs> my mind's, dude. <laughs> you you often wonder what's going on behind these eyes. This comic. That's the kind of shit I think about at night. Sometimes when I'm lying asleep, I'm like, man, imagine if Ghost Rider was on the CB on the highway, and like all oh, the really? different. There were so many, man. Like, where have all these Ghost Riders been my whole life? Because these guys rocked. How about the two that came back from the future? And it was like, wait, you sent us back. And I was like, man, it's like Terminator. But Ghost Rider. <laughs> oh, I was, I was, as you can oh, tell. Oh, God, you just reminded me of that fucking bullshit too, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot the, going the, on. The, the Terminator Ghost Riders where they're like, um. Where, where, yeah. Um, oh, you sent us back into the past, but, 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 we look punk rock. I was like, oh, my God, this is so fucking lame. So you weren't feeling it, Rich, in any way, shape, no. or form? No, yeah. I just I thought it was farcical. Okay, well, I'm and giving. Again, it... Does you know what? And it's not changing my mind about uh, <laughs> Jason Aaron. No, <laughs> no, I, I I got that vibe. I'm giving it eight point five out of ten. What are you giving it, Rich? Um, I give it a five. I'll be generous. All right, trade of the week was Pathfinder, uh, volume one. A very entertaining read, actually, Rich. Do you want to give us the pitch on this one? This was your pick, I believe. So it's just basically Dungeons and Dragons, but um, uh, done by the the Alcat guys mm-hmm. um, who've created their own thing. So it's basically just um, 
it's like a typical fantasy story. A, a bunch of heroes get brought together um, to save a, a town from an evil horde, <laughs> which turn out to be goblins that are like blighted or mutated mm. um, by this chick who's like pregnant with a demon spawn <laughs> yeah like and she's sort of controlling them uh and you know it's that typical going on a quest sort of shit and and stuff and all that um i quite enjoyed the art yes uh, now one thing i didn't know when i picked this was the writer jim zub it was the writer of jim zub and i'll be honest with you again not something that has um enhanced my opinion of him oh really and not that I think this is bad, mm-hmm. but one thing I really can't stand mm. is when people use modern lingo in oh. a fantasy setting. It's, oh, you don't like it? Uh, people, people call me a snob if they want. Now, I'm not saying they're going to be like, verily, you know, all that sort of shit. But when you use things like wow yeah. and stuff, you know what I mean? I kind of go, dude... There's That's a what they do all the time, though, now, man. That's normal now. I know they do it now, but my point is I'm used to reading, you know, older stuff, mm. right? Old D&D stuff, old Conan stuff, where yeah. the writers yeah. heard yeah. of a thing called a thesaurus. Yeah. And what you can do is when you catch yourself using a word, just look up an alternative that doesn't sound like sure. it's a word that was created in the last 20 years. It's a fair point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm not asking for the fucking Thor level of, you know... Yeah, the verily thus must go. Verily, you know, I'm not looking for that Shakespearean stuff, but I just don't want my character sounding like, you know, the cosplayers in modern times putting on a play. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm. just use a fucking Thoris. Although, I, I hear your point there. I will say this. Um... I like the art, even though it's very stylistic. I enjoyed it. I did feel this was going more in the direction that I wish D&D comics would go into. Like, the humour is much more muted. It's there, but it's not the main it, feature. Yeah. I mean, it's still annoying, but yes, it is not as blatant. Yeah, yeah. And it's darker. And if, the jokes didn't annoy me as much as just the, the actual dialogue of, yeah. um, of the writing. Now, maybe he's gotten... Better because I don't. Although I think I did complain about this in his Conan mm. uh, run as well. I'm sorry. I just I know we like his Conan like run, man. His Conan thing, run. But... His Conan run was the one where they went to the east. We like that. I remember. Again, I again I don't have an issue with this. I like the story. Mm. I just don't like his dialogue. Yeah. All that much. Yeah. Okay. I think he needs to work on his dialogue, especially if he's going to be doing fantasy based. Well, um, he works on D and D now. I think too. I think. Well, uh, well, well, he's definitely working at Pathfinder. I mean, I don't know if he still is. I mean, I don't know. Well, if I, I think this was prior to his D and D stuff. I think this was a while ago. Um, yeah, but anyway, look, I enjoyed it. I was hoping maybe a little bit more, but I, I did enjoy it overall. Um, it was a quick read. Um, it's a fun read. Uh, like I, 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 by no means did I dislike this i i enjoyed it i like that they're going in a slightly darker direction um i felt like there were proper stakes it felt very much like an adventurous party which i think is good and it wasn't the madcap 
hilarity which we often see in these books, you know, which we've we've, we've pointed to before, where everything's a big joke, you know? Um, I did feel that the scene where the rogue escaped and then freed them all was a bit confusing. Um, I also felt the artwork at times was hard to tell who was the, the rogue and the elf. You know, just their, their faces. That's just so much because they both had long white hair. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I'm trying to say is, like, sometimes the artist, it was a bit hard to exactly work out what was going on. Um, their, their style of artwork, I like their artwork. Um, it's it's kind of a cool style um, and a bit different. Yeah, look, for me, this was, I, I, I did know it was Jim Zub, and I, in general, like Jim Zub's work. I've read, I don't know if you've ever read Skull Kickers. That's his kind of, like, fantasy. It's very jokey. I mean, it's, it's the dialogue is 100% modern, but it's a, it's, it's kind of a piss take on D&D and fantasy and stuff. It's really good, but it's very, I don't know if you'd like it. It's very, it's humour, but it's, it's, it's full on. It's, it's really good. I, re- I personally really like Skull Kickers. Um, they mention it in the prequel to this, um, because I think that was kind of his first book that got him noticed, and he, he mm-hmm. did like he did like a like a fairly decent long run on it. Um, yeah, I, look, I mean, I'm going to read volume two. You know what I mean? I I actually realised I'd bought these a million years ago on some sale. I had them on my iPad, and um, I'd never read them. I enjoyed it. It's very D and D like. I felt like you were there throwing the dice. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd I'd give it. I'd give it an 8 out of 10. In terms of my own personal enjoyment, it was like 8 out of 10. I enjoyed this, you know? Mm. What about uh, you? Again, I did. I really enjoyed it. I actually even liked the art. Mm. Yeah, it could be a bit cluttered at times and probably not the best idea to have two female characters yeah, with, same with white hair. I know that they put um, tattoos yes. on the one, but sometimes you same couldn't girl. even see the tattoos. Yeah. Um, I mean, overall, I like the characters. Um, I, I, I kind of like some of the backstories. Um Sometimes the warrior was written a little bit lame. Mm-hmm. I thought sometimes he could be a bit childish, but I guess maybe that's what they're going for. I quite like the dwarf being a a tracker, a hunter instead yeah. of a you know a, a classical sort of dwarf. Um, and kind of people almost mock him for that, like he's not a proper dwarf. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's the old man trying to be a pathfinder. So apparently that's what the pathfinder is. There's this um, profession, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Um, I guess is like maybe they're like chroniclers, you know. People yeah, it that, seemed like that. Yeah, it seemed you know, like go that. on these big adventures and chronicle. I don't know, maybe big dangerous stuff. The, and all the that Mark, sort of the crap. Mark Twain's of the fantasy world, Rich. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. Um, again, I really enjoyed it. Um, definitely better than I thought it was going to be, mm. uh, especially when I when I opened it up and I was like, oh wait, Jim's up. <laughs> Well, I like Jim's up in general. I missed him. With him, it can go either way. I feel like, you know what I mean? Like, Mm. until you read it, it could be, like, really good, or it could just be like, oh, wow, okay. Jim's up did it again. Yeah. Um, But uh, this is actually pretty cool. And just a a cool entry-level adventure. Um, You know, not like uh, the world is at stake. Um, Yes. Again, just a town, um, like a region with these goblins and stuff and all that, that have been, uh, again, go- goblins are like a nuisance and all that, but now they kind of have been like, um, enslaved. And they've, and they've, escalated in, they've escalated and they're raiding in day. And suddenly these goblins are yeah. becoming, a bit you got the, you know, obligatory giant spiders and mm. <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed it. Um, 
Uh, it makes me excited to actually play the um, the PC game that I bought um, cool. when I finish Divinity 2. What, what is the PC game called? So there's two. Uh, there's Pathfinder Kingmaker. I think that's what the first one's called. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, Pathfinder... Fuck, I don't remember the word. So something like the righteous one, or the ri- something righteous, or something. Cool. It made um, me want to finish reading, uh, watching Vox Machina because I'm, I'm I'm deep into the second season. Yeah, you do. I I enjoyed that. You know. Um, yeah, Mitch sent me a, a link to um, yeah. something, and it was it had there like, and I was like, ah, oh, send that to Dave. I'm not interested. He did send it to <laughs> me, and and yeah, I was like, yeah, Rich won't uh, enjoy this. Yeah, one I was like, no, thank you. Vox Machina is the is is what's killing D and D. Yeah, it's like everything you hate, actually, uh, it put into one show, really, if you think about it. Like the humour, the way they talk, it's just all... It's like the anti-Richard show. It's, yeah, it's everything's jokey-wokey. <laughs> everything's super jokey, Rich. <laughs> and they're talking super modern, my friend. You know. Oh, no, it's terrible. I've seen, I saw the trailers for, the, um, um, for, for their show, and I was just like, nope. No, like, I'm no. completely out. You were like, no, thank you. <laughs> Critical role, pass. Um, yep, <laughs> exactly, yeah, check. Uh, role for initiative fail. <laughs> yeah. be watching. So what are you giving this one out of 10, Rich? Um, I'll give it an 8 out of 10, actually, because um, mm-hmm. overall it's actually quite enjoyable, and I found most of the characters to be quite interesting. Yep. So cool. it looks like these characters are going to be, like, the, the main character, not main, but you know what I mean, like, the... The, the the characters that the stories are set around. Good, yeah. Well, why not? Like, yeah, give us a give us a give us an adventurous party. And there's three volumes. As I think I, I I checked, there's three volumes that we'll put out. Um, so the, you know, there's two more to go, come, and I'd I'd certainly be open to doing a second volume at some point uh, in the near future. I I really enjoyed it. Now, in terms of next week, I haven't made my mind up yet what we're going to read. Actually, I'm got to be honest. I've got a bit of a craving for a bit of Chuck Dixon, Savage sort of Conan. Um, but I'll confirm that to you tomorrow, Richard. Uh, does that surprise you at all that I've just gone into the... I've hit the archives and I've gone, how about a bit of Chuck Dixon's Savage Sword? Wow. Yeah. Never would have guessed it, bro. It's almost like the time that I said, guess the show that I'm thinking of. And you were like, The Fugitive? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> You're consistent, Dave. I'll give you that. I, was, I was like, can I lie? <laughs> What do you think oh, about right? You wouldn't be playing the game, right? <laughs> yeah. There was one time on the show, it was back in the day of Stuart, and it was like we were supposed to be coming with pictures, and the only thing I had in my head was Punisher. I go, all I've got right now is Punisher. And he was like, really, Dave? I'm like, yep, that's that's all I got. <laughs> that's all I've got, buddy. I got, all i got are the tanks, Punisher. Well, um, look, this has been a fun show. Um, I'm exhausted. Rich, thank you for hanging around. You must say, you, no one can tell you're sick. You've been on form, man. You've been on fire. I've tried to keep it yeah, fun. I think I'm get, the problem is I'm thinking I'm getting there. Yeah, well, you I take... I'm, I, I'm at that early stage, so I still have the energy to to get it done. Well, by the way, if you don't feel well during the week, just let me know and we can easily take a week off. No, nah, I'll be fine in a week. I'm All right. Now, I will mention this. Next week, Jesus. I will mention this to listeners. I've locked in Jeff Grubb, uh, D&D, Forgotten Realms Cop, um works on Amazon now. Uh, Jeff Grubb is coming on the show, uh, I was about to say June 15, December 15. If you've got any questions for Jeff, um, seriously, message me on Facebook or message the show on Facebook, or you can also, fucking if you want to, 
um, message on X, but just do it on Facebook. It's easier for me. Um, yeah, any questions for Jeff? Um, I've already got some. I'm going to put it out on the Forgotten Realms page of the D&D pages on Reddit as well. Uh, any questions for Jeff, that would be highly appreciated. I'm really looking forward to getting him on the show. Um, seems like a super nice guy and um, he's going to have a few stories to tell, man, you know? So the stories we could tell, yeah. to quote Tom Petty. Anything that's rock and roll is fine. Anything that's rock and roll is fine. Um, Rich, anything you'd like to say before we close up? No, man, just no everyone speeches. just keep on keeping on. Keep on killing, guys. Um, we're proud members of the collective. Um, check it out. Inner Demons with Brian Biggie. Uh, you've got Ray with Into the Night. He's sacrificing virgins to Conchu as we speak. You've got Last Sons of Krypton, Capes and Lunatics, lots of stuff. Um, if you want to support the show, it's much appreciated. Go to patreon.com slash Signal of Doom. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention Signal Abductions, my Steel Brigade G.I. Joe Classified is on its way. Um, Noise. Yeah, finally. Finally, man, the Steel Brigade. They're here. Finally, it is They're fucking here, man. And the non-stop war against Cobra. You know what I mean? Like, stay alert. Stay alarmed. Cobra's out there. <laughs> Seriously, Dr. Mind Bender with his fucking zombie machine. Jesus. All right. On that note, I want to say thank you and good night. Good night. Great show, Rich. We just kept punching, man, through fatigue, illness, everything. And a lack of content. Well, we have some content, actually. <laughs> Massive lack. <laughs> <laughs>